When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. If you're listening to this show live rather than on the podcast, you, my friend, are in for a treat. Because you are about to get a live play-by-play update and explanation to what is happening in the sky above you right now. Look up. Try and find the moon. Does it look any different to you than what it looks like on a typical night? Well, it should. Because we are seeing a full-fledged celestial event, the likes of which don't come around very often. And our Sherpa... On this space journey is none other than Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. He is a veteran radio and TV broadcaster and edutainer with great deal of expertise in astronomy and space. And he's going to guide us through the next hour. We're also going to try and answer your questions. He's going to be the one answering your questions. Don't worry, not me. And if you have questions about anything that's happening with the eclipse or with space, you can give us a call, 1-800-848-9222. If you're not interested in the moon, then you should turn up the volume even louder because he is the man that has the best voice in all of radio. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests, Steve Kate. Steve, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. And good morning, Frank. Good to be back on 77 WABC. But let me also congratulate you and the entire staff and John Castavatidis, you know, on this great phenomenal ratings that you're knocking it out of the park and out of the stratosphere on 77 WABC, my friend. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, we're very blessed to have the the greatest audience in the world. And uh, I think it's in part guests like you uh, that are helping to attract them in such wide numbers. So thank you. All right. So um, break down for us exactly what we're seeing. What's the moon doing right now? Well, unfortunately, it's not happening, Frank, until Sunday. This is an Mm. eclipse that's going to take place Sunday. But it's great to be with you and the listeners. And I thought, with your permission, your show, just to go over eclipses for as much of the time that we can spend and always things that the audience wants to hear. But this is interesting. And I thought I'd give a little primer on the differences between these types of eclipses. So, folks... And Frank, get ready, because Sunday night into Monday morning, we're going to experience the first of what would be, I think, two great total lunar eclipses. And to start off, a little bit of the sacred geometry, what's happening. Now, many people may know this, but some don't. So here we go. The cause of these eclipses is the fact that the Earth blocks the light that the moon normally gets. And that's rare, and I call it sacred geometry, because in the celestial way, if we looked at all of these objects, a full moon has to be 180 degrees in alignment with the sun so that it makes sure that there's no shadow effect on the edges of the moon. Now, that's a little technical for this early. But what we're going to be seeing is this particular eclipse that's going to happen Sunday night, and hopefully the weather will be good for the entire listening area, 
I'll give the times here, of course, in Eastern Daylight Time. And, of course, the listeners across the nation just calculate the time schedule. So what you're going to be seeing, when that moon moves into one of the two shadows that the Earth projects or every planet projects into space, the moon gets in that shadow. The outer shadow, which you hardly would notice at all, is called the penumbral part of the eclipse. That's not something that I'm really excited about. I've watched hundreds of these different types of events, literally. The number is really not that exciting. But in Eastern Daylight Time, Sunday evening, May 15th, it starts at 9.32 p.m. Why do I mention it? Because it's a good time to get ready for the next big event that's happening. So in Eastern Daylight Time, the partial eclipse begins. What we're going to see is the moon is sliding into the deeper shadow called the Earth's umbra. It's pretty big in the sky. So if you could see the shadow, it's there every month. It's just that the moon doesn't go through it. 10.27 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, with clear skies or partly cloudy skies, you'll notice this dent out of the upper left edge of the moon. Now, if we were on the surface of the moon, things would be really exciting. We would naturally see the Earth covering up the sun. Now it gets even better. The total eclipse, what we're really talking about, what makes this thing the called super blood moon. 11.29 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, still Sunday, May the 15th. The moon goes deep, Frank, into the Earth's umbra. And if we were to get really precise, if you looked at a big circle, the moon will be gliding, as we call it, the descending node, meaning it's diving down along the ecliptic, you know, the zodiac path. And this time it's going to go almost central into that. So, th so for people out there that have heard of a blood moon, the reason that it even turns red is if you were standing on the lunar surface, you would see this gigantic ring around the Earth. And whatever weather is around the edges of the earth, and I'll get into more about why this may be a really deeper eclipse than, than usual, you would see that. And by the way, from the lunar surface, none of us are there. The earth is four times the size of the full moon that we would see here. The maximum eclipse in eastern daylight time is on 12.11 a.m. on the morning of the 16th Monday. So we have lots more to say about it. But, Frank, this is a spectacular event for people to see. Why? Because it's not dangerous to the eye like a solar eclipse. Mm. It requires nothing other than, you know, an interest. It's romantic. It's beautiful. People with the great smartphones today, wow, these phones can take better pictures than we had cameras, what, 15 years ago. Imagine that. No. So there's a lot coming up. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you clarifying my error that the eclipse is taking place Sunday into Monday, not uh, right now, even as we no. speak. And that's good. So even the folks that are listening on the podcast, they can prepare uh, their eclipse watching parties accordingly. Mm -hmm. How common is a lunar eclipse? Well, it's maybe more common than most people think. We can get a couple of these in a year, but sometimes we have a drought. And just to be more specific about this, it goes really into the deep, deep science of eclipses. And we talk about something called a Seros cycle. Now, this is a repetitive cycle that happens throughout astronomy, 18 years plus some days and hours, meaning that if you stood on the Earth somewhere, a similar eclipse of a Seros cycle, and this particular Seros group is called cycle number 131. This is 34th of 72 eclipses, 15 of which are total, quote, moon types eclipses, and they all started back a long time ago when we weren't around in 1553 A.D., and this Sero cycle ends in a time when we're probably not going to be here. We'll be floating around somewhere else in the year 2563 A.D. So these eclipses can be, depending on where you are on the Earth, if you miss this one, there's a slight chance the eastern you know, part of the United States gets the next eclipse, good visibility, more so for the Pacific and the, and the western states, 
the morning of November the 8th. So they happen a couple of times a year. Then there's a couple of years maybe where there's a drought because they actually happen on the other side of the Earth. But they're so fascinating, Frank, because if you look into the history of total lunar eclipses, there's a great story about Christopher Columbus when he sailed allegedly into Jamaica. He, of course, knew astronomy. I didn't say this was right, what he's about, what we're about to talk about, but allegedly, and some people say he didn't do this, but some scholars say that he went to the islands. He took advantage of the indigenous people and said to them, hey, look, I'm running out of food. I'm running out of you know, equipment. I'm running out of things I need. And I will turn that moon red if you don't give me what I want. And you know what? Some stories, and I really shouldn't laugh about this because it's not nice to do this to people. But guess what? According to the stories, and some of these are pretty verifiable, he did get what he wanted. But there's an interesting sidebar to this. He knew, and think about this. How in good God's name did we know how to predict eclipses like this right. back in 1503? Because even he, Christopher Columbus, was making monthly payments on his iPad, I think. Kidding. Imagine they didn't have, they didn't have one. So that's a whole other story of how people even calculated these things. But it's, it's a great thing. Now, we haven't even gotten to the opposite side of the eclipses, and that is the whole phenomenon of solar eclipses. So these eclipses are great. The moon, just for those out there that are interested more in the astrological side of the world, the moon will lie in the zodiac sign, the only non-living sign, we like to call it Libra, the scales or balances. Why is that important? Because when totality occurs, and I've seen this many times, Frank, in the darkest location you can get, even city dwellers can see most of this, the moon will look like this Chinese lantern that you just illuminated by candle. And it's so surreal because the sky in that part of the area is deeply embedded just to the left is where the Milky Way is. So I've taken binoculars. Everybody can do this. When the moon in full totality, you may see stars right at the edge of the moon as the moon's gliding and covering them. They're called occultations. But in the darkest of skies, let's say somebody's up in New York State or wherever they're listening, if they have dark skies, well, of clear skies, I should say, you'll have dark skies with the eclipse, it'll look so strange because it'll almost look like this three-dimensional bubble or balloon in the air. And you know what? If we were on the northern part of the moon, Frank, we would see the deepest of eclipse but here's the other part that I wanted to mention. This eclipse may be deeper and darker. And I've seen an eclipse back in the 1980s when I lived in New Jersey that because of the thing I'm going to describe, mm. heavy doses of volcanic dust in the atmosphere. Remember, in January, we had the explosion of the Honga Tonga submarine volcano. And that thing put up so much dust into the stratosphere that it may theoretically block the moon from its red condition to maybe turning it to something unbelievable, like a garnet color, because of the lack of transmission through the atmosphere with this dust. Take a look any night in the sky, and if you see these purple sunsets, it's still caused because of the volcanic dust still up in the stratosphere. This is amazing. It is indeed. So all told, I guess it lasts just shy of three hours, Sundays, Sunday into Monday's lunar eclipse? It continues for longer parts. So if we, if we just negate, because there's no reason to worry about seeing the penumbral faces, that's almost ludicrous, because you see, like, for those that are really diehard observers, eh, you may see a 2% change in the, in the intensity of the moon. But for this one, Frank, you're looking at many, many hours over the course of time, and I think it's just something that everybody would like to see. And here in Arizona, you know, we've been on a media tour all day long from television, as I mentioned to you before in one of my texts, mm. that the reason I mention that is I want to mention to this great audience on 77 WABC, if you want to know, we put together, I put together a little eclipse, kind of like a survival guide, I like to call it. 
So at KTAR.com, if you go there and go to our blog on the menu section, for everything that you're not going to hear in a short hour, and I'm grateful for the time, Frank, believe me, there will be a lot of information there and even ways to learn how to take pictures. If you're one of those people out there with one of those DSLR type cameras and, well, I never get any luck. I, I should have used my little iPhone 7 and it still works. But if you're that kind of person who wants to take some exceptional pictures, there's some links to great sites. Mm. Uh, no, that's uh, that's great to know. Now, I know when when it's a full moon, mm-hmm. it, it's not as if the moon goes from a crescent moon to a half moon to a full moon in three days. The moon looks almost full for the day before, a couple of days before, uh, yes. and it looks mostly full a couple of days after right. the full the full full moon. Will this red lunar eclipse, will the moon look any different tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday night, as opposed to any other night? Or will it be a function of on Sunday when the the, the night of the lunar eclipse takes place, that's when it's going to look awfully different compared to what we're used to? Well, absolutely. Again, you can have an eclipse of the moon unless the moon is that 180-degree distance in line from the sun and the earth. The Earth's blocking the light out. We're the, we're the blocker. But here it is. And you're right about this. A very interesting question. I've noticed it. Everybody notices the moon looks full for three or four days. But the reality is what makes the moon really technically full, and this gets super technical and we'll make it easier here. When it's 180 degrees away in alignment, straight line, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll see virtually no shadows on the edges of the moon. So let's say a two days before or a day before, unless you really have a telescope, and most people would not be concerned about it because it doesn't affect them other than it still looks full you can have a few days on either side of quote full moon where you find this almost looks identical so yes the eclipse can only happen on that specific time and by the way this particular eclipse has an interesting name it's called officially if you want to go into the record books here the full flower super blood moon wow that's a lot to say Flower moon, because of the calendar, like the Farmer's Almanac, and Native American tribes named so many of these moons in symbology. But now we find out that this moon is called, what, a supermoon, because this is not really an astronomy term, folks. This is more of a, you know, in the world of astrology, they came up with this concept, when the moon is close to the Earth and it's full, we do have some astronomy to talk about. This moon's about 224,000 miles away from us. We have a few more of these this year. So why not take what we can get as opposed to the last time we were on the air, Frank? I think we did this back Mm, in November. Right. We had the opposite effect where the moon was a tiny mini moon. So this one, get your cameras ready, folks, and hopefully pray for clear skies. Find a couple of days before. This is where people, I think, can be really helped by, by this program and by this information. Don't wait till the night of the eclipse and say, oh, well, I heard that it's going to pop up over here. The moon will rise to the right of east. That's east-southeast. You can look up on the you know, web exactly where in the azimuth, you know, 90 degrees is east. It's like 113, so it's to the right of east. But find a place, obviously, doesn't have trees or buildings. And if you live in one of those high buildings, you'll probably have, you know, bless you, if you have a patio, imagine that, that overlooks the sky and there's nothing in the way. All you have to help for is no clouds. But a lot of people will miss some of the part of it. The most thing, important thing I'm talking about is, isn't that beautiful when the moon is rising? It gives that effect of looking even super than a supermoon. 
And that's what pictures and the romantic part of this. And we don't want to forget about the romance, right, Frank? Uh, That is for sure. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. Uh, You can check out his uh, Dr. Sky blog at KTAR.com. All sorts of great space information on there. If you have questions about uh, Sunday night's lunar eclipse um, or questions about what's happening or what you could observe during it, give us a call. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. We're going to do our best to answer as many of your questions as possible. Um, The weather on Sunday into Monday, is that likely to play any role in the visibility in our area of this lunar eclipse? Well, I'm not a meteorologist, but I can just tell people, obviously, with your staff and many other places around the country, that people can just go to out from National Weather Service or your favorite, you know, place on the web. I'm hoping, obviously, if you have clouds, it's going to impede a lot of the view. And in some places, if God forbid it's totally cloudy, you'll probably want to go on the internet and search for live video mm. of this. And in today's world, we can do that. But no, you need a clear sky. But sometimes, how about this? The romance side of this, how about this? Even with a partly cloudy sky, I think there's nothing more beautiful, right, folks? When you look out and see that moon let's say the Atlantic Ocean or the beach, and you see the light of the moon shimmering on the waterline, and then a cool breeze. Boy, Frank, isn't this great? That's beautiful. You don't have to have a totally clear sky. But when you're looking at the eclipse, it's going to last. Think about this. The totality lasts for 84 minutes. And in Phoenix, a lot of people, I'm sure the whole entire 77 WABC listening audience, obviously they could do this too. Imagine the parties that you could have. How about a nice barbecue outside? In the, in the late night or even in the evening for out here in the West, and people come up with all kinds of concoctions for adult beverages oh, where sure. they can. And this could turn itself into a, an amazing night for people. How about that? Uh, no, absolutely. So the greatest eclipse will be around uh, 10 after midnight Eastern time. Yes. Great. Well, that's Correct. exciting. All right. And, well, it lasts, and it ends, the totality, I should ends, say, ends at 12.53 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Just convert your times across the time zones. Uh, We're going to continue with your calls in just a minute. Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, is here talking about this upcoming lunar eclipse this weekend. It's a very big deal. We're excited about it. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you have questions for Dr. Sky, we'll take your questions straight ahead. You saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own Blue moon You knew just what I was there for You heard me saying The prayer for Someone I really Could care for The great Dean Martin Singing Blue Moon Well this Sunday 
You may not see a blue moon, but you will see a red moon, a lunar eclipse uh, that uh, should be, depending on the weather, pretty visible for those of us in our area. And we have the go-to eclipse expert on radio with us this hour, Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, helping us um, understand what it is we're going to be seeing and what we should be looking for. Uh, because it's a pretty neat thing. It's a pretty special thing. Yes. 800-848-WABC. A whole bunch of folks eager to talk with you, Steve. Let me begin with uh, Mary Beth on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning, and thank you for doing this show. Oh, thank you. Um, and Dr. Stye, you do have a magnificent voice, as well as oh. all the knowledge that you give us. So thank oh, you. Thank, thank you, Mary Beth. That's very kind. You're welcome. Um, I am finding... Um, and. This was surprising to me. Um, three people called me today with um, horrendous situations that had just happened to them. I mean, it was like out of the blue. And I noted myself that, you know, things were a little off today. What exactly is it with a full moon that's coming and especially an eclipse? Because I've heard people even in stores say, wow, a lot of crazy stuff going on today. What's that all about, or am I just being ridiculous? No, very interesting points in the world of astronomy and also astrology. Obviously, when the moon's gravitational pull gets closest, remember, in astronomy, when the moon is closest to us, we call it perigee, and that happens on the 17th. Now, women are going through childbirth and may, may have experienced a lot of differences because of the gravitational changes that the moon will pull on the Earth, just like tides. But there's something, and I don't normally talk about astrology, but I have respect for those that obviously are much into the astrology world. Maybe the simplest answer, Mary Beth, that I can give you is, guess what? The planet Mercury, to many people, is very, they're very concerned about this in astrology. It went into retrograde starting on the 10th of, of May. So maybe there's something to that, you think? <laughs> that could be one of the answers. But the moon's gravity pull on the Earth, there's all kinds of stories about that. And obviously, we're going to have another one of those on the 17th. It's called Fiji. That's why this is called a supermoon. Thanks, Mary Beth. Great question. Appreciate it. Uh, by the way, you mentioned we're having another um, lunar eclipse in November. And I know you said lunar eclipses are not nearly as rare as solar eclipses. But I would think having two lunar eclipses within the same year, I would think that is pretty rare, right? It can be, Frank. I mean, again, sometimes these, again, when they say two lunar eclipses, we have to remember that, and again, I don't have all the particulars right at this moment for the one in November, other than the fact that it's more likely favorable for the western states, like where I am in Arizona, and people out in the Pacific Ocean. But talking, if I may shift gears just for a moment here, talking about solar eclipses, this is where the, the rubber meets the road, as we would say, in the world of astronomy. These are things that people need to be concerned about. Not to scare people, but you simply do not ever. Normally, obviously, I don't look up. I don't think normal people stare at the sun just to stare because of the overpowering light and the damage the eye can, can get. But the next major total eclipse in America, and this is one that I hope, with your permission, we can talk about for quite a long time sure. in the future. The April 8th, 2024 eclipse that will take place. It's another one of the great American total eclipses. We had the one back in August, which I was fortunate, and maybe many people saw too, August the 21st of 2017. We were deeply embedded in Idaho. There's only 698 days. What? 698 days till that eclipse. 
But that's something people want to prepare for because you probably won't get to see another one of these like that for quite a long time. And what I mean, you probably won't see another American eclipse like that until around the year 2045. But Frank, this is also fascinating. Imagine this particular eclipse. Here we go, folks. Jot this date down, August 2 of 2027. This eclipse is primarily over the Sahara in Africa, and it actually skirts its way down along the Nile in Egypt. And guess where it gets very close to? Not exactly over the pyramids, but over some of the other sacred you know, sculptures that are there. Hmm. Can you imagine being in those cities? And I'm not a scholar on Egyptology, but I'm sure many listeners are. That would be one knock it out of the park. Absolutely. Imagine seeing that. So maybe we have the future, what, Frank, the 77 WABC caravan that (laughs) goes to Egypt or the one in America. That's a thing if you haven't seen one. That's outstanding. Uh, It sounds like a fun listener trip to me. 800-848-WABC if you have a question for Dr. Sky. Let's say hello to Pete on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Dr. Sky. Uh, Yeah, I looked up. I saw that eclipse. It was really... And Frank, I'm sorry. It was really uh, breathtaking. I enjoyed watching it. I'm I'm glad that it's not the eclipse like uh, during the uh, daytime with the sun where you can right, hear your solar body. eclipse. Right, right. Solar. Well, eclipse, Pete. You know? Yes. Good morning, Pete. This is amazing stuff to talk about because so many people have never experienced the total. I talk to so many people, like everybody does, and when you bring this subject up, they say, "Oh, yeah." I saw a total solar eclipse. I said, really? What would you see? Well, half the, you know, half the sun was covered. Well, the beauty of seeing one of these, and this is just something that I hope everybody, who made, the people who've listened, I mean, who've, who've seen these, I hope they call in to share their experiences. Let me not be the only one testifying about the beauty of a total solar eclipse. But the warning that I give everybody out there, and this is something crazy, and Pete, maybe you were in on this too. The last total eclipse or the last eclipse, there was a whole bunch of these solar glasses that were sold. And I got caught up in the scam myself. I ordered some, I won't mention from mm. where, but I got some of these and I looked, I held them up to the sun and it was no better than if I had two pairs of sunglasses on. Now that's dangerous mm. and they sold them as solar glasses. So when you go out, there's a certain type, hopefully we can talk about this in the future, there's a certain ISO type of rating and anybody could put it on there, but you don't want to damage your eyes. You want to enjoy this but there's nothing, again, more beautiful, in my opinion, that I could see in the astronomical world than seeing the moments of totality when people literally, their jaws drop, they look and they forget about their earthly concerns. I'm serious. And it's just like transforming yourself to another place in time. It's amazing. Absolutely. Thanks, Pete. 800-848-9222. Spencer is in Philadelphia. Hello, Spencer. Have you ever seen Uranus with your neck? Oh, very very good, Spencer. Thank you. Well, wait a minute. No, I mean, he's got a point, even though it's a little tongue-in-cheek there. But no, seriously, and I'll go the serious route on that. I always pronounce the planet as Uranus because we do a lot of kid programs and children. But seriously, the planet Uranus is technically visible to the naked eye on a super dark night. I can't say I've seen it. But I found it in binoculars. So how about that response? There you go. Hey, um, you, we gave you a curveball, and you uh, knocked it out of the park. Uh, Paul is in Manhattan. Hello, Paul. Hi, Steve. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, Good morning, Paul. Steve, uh, Steve, about a month and a half ago, you were on with Frank, and yes. the topic of Roswell came up. Yes. And you said that you had a, a deep interest in the Roswell mysteries. I sure have. I've spoken there many times, and I was kind of attacked by some people, uh, not physically, but verbally. 
basically saying that I was a government agent. They were saying to me that I'm a disbeliever. And all I was doing there, I was giving a program, Paul, about how to be a better sky watcher. In other words, 90% of the things in the sky are probably answerable, not because I wrote the book, but because if you learn the nighttime sky, respectfully to the people that don't know this, you go out there and then the 10% that we know are not planet stars by name, then we're interested to hear that. But please continue. I'm sorry. Okay. So you're, so that means you're pretty well versed in the various mysteries and lore surrounding Roswell. I'm pretty survive. I mean, I'm pretty versed in it. But go ahead with your question. I just like to know. I yeah. just like to know. Have you ever heard about the UDT related theory? And do you give that any credence to that? No. Tell me about that because I'm I'm totally at loss for words on that. To, to explain that to me well, a little bit. Well, the UDT is the underwater. Um, uh, detonation team, the Naval Special Forces in 1947. Oh, okay. okay. And that they um, made an attempt to basically go to the Roswell base and uh, mm-hmm. hijack, uh, steal an atom bomb that they had <laughs> deployed at the base. And wow. things went wrong. And there was a never- huge cover up around that. And it's never been disclosed till this day. Yeah, Paul, that's not something I'm up on either. If there's anything you could email me on that, uh, I'd certainly be uh, very interested in. But thanks for bringing that, it up and thanks for that, mentioning well, it. No, Paul, most, thank you. And I, yeah, go ahead. The most interesting aspect of that theory is that most people have never heard of that right. theory. And it's entirely the most plausible theory I've ever heard. Hmm. Well, Paul, I want to add something to this. My visitation to Roswell many times was to the hangar at the 509th Bomb Group. And that reason we went there, that's allegedly where the bodies of these so-called extraterrestrials were flown out of. But the 509th was responsible, I believe, during that period in time in the war for all of the nuclear stuff that went on. And I remember this from an interview that we did. Believe it or not, I had a chance to talk to Paul Tibbetts, who was the pilot, and a lot of the crew on the Enola Gay. And I kept asking him questions about Roswell. And basically, it was like, you know, he had bulletproof armor. Every time I'd ask him a question on that, so you may be onto something, they wouldn't even answer me at all as if I didn't know what I was talking about. Hmm. How well, about that? It's not, it's not my theory. I've heard it no, from no, other, certain other people. But even somebody like you who's well-versed in it has never even heard of that theory. I'm also it's, honest with the audience. And you know what? With, between Frank and I, I think we got a little bit of a homework to do. Don't <laughs> absolutely. You think? No doubt about it. Oh, Paul, I love it. Frank, I'll be in touch with you about Thank it. you. Please do. Yeah, you got my email. If anyone else wants to email me, uh, they can do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Meantime, if you have any other questions about anything otherworldly or space-wise, now's the time, 800-848-9222. I know you mentioned that uh, we're going to have a pretty good view of this lunar eclipse Sunday in our area, and you guys in Arizona are going to have a uh, pretty good view of it. How? Just curious, how much of the planet is going to have a good view of this lunar eclipse on Sunday? Well, this is the best question I've gotten in 24 hours, Frank, and I mean that sincerely. We're going to see this over a wide part of North America. If you are out in a boat, let's say, somewhere in the Caribbean, where this will be absolutely at its best, but not necessarily for your neck if you don't have a chiropractor on board, this would be directly overhead in areas in the Caribbean, say, closer to South America. So this, this whole eclipse starts, as we see, into the Atlantic, We see it across the United States, up in Canada. We see it skirt down into South America. It's a pretty wide wide area, excuse me. The problematic thing with total solar eclipses is just the opposite. You have a tiny cone of light, or darkness, I should say, coming out from the shadow of the moon, and it literally is like you took a laser and went across the surface of the Earth. Many people don't know this, but the umbral shadow of the moon, when it crosses the Earth for a total solar eclipse, can be anywhere as skinny as maybe 50 miles to maybe 100 or 200.
200 miles wide, and you need to be right into that area. So the closer you are, uh, you know, eclipse freaks say this, got to be on the center line. So the April 8th, 2024 eclipse is going to have its best visibility in northern Mexico in some inhospitable areas in the mountains. But the best areas are going to be seen for over, imagine this, four and a half minutes of totality. A total solar eclipse can never last on Earth more than seven minutes and 40 seconds. I know this, but the reality is I've never seen one that long. But in certain areas of Texas, that's where we're hoping to be. As I mentioned before, ideally, we'd like to be in Dealey Plaza. It's a very sad place. We all know from American history. But imagine in the middle of the day, like around 1230, in a clear sky, knowing what happened there years and years ago, how sad. But seeing this unearthly event take place where the shadow, you literally see the shadow. If you turn your back, it comes at you as if you're on a movie set where they dim the lights the shadow's traveling at over a 1,000 or more miles per hour, and then, boom, you get those four minutes. Don't stare at the sun without solar glasses until it's 100% covered. But that would be a great place to be, and we're looking for other places to be. And who knows, Frank, maybe we'll turn this into a giant 77 WABC expedition. That sounds good to me. Paul is in Westport, Connecticut. Hello, Paul. Well, Paul, what's on your mind? Oh, I was going to say one night, they were talking about the eclipses, but one night I was standing on my porch looking out, and I saw a bust of a chunk of an asteroid, and it looked like, you know, bigger than a car flying by. Yes. So I was going to ask the doc yes. or who you have on about uh, how fast he thinks it's going. I could see the trail of the light spectrum. Yes. What you're seeing Possibly, Paul, what you saw was a giant fireball or something called a bolide. And those things, as hard as it is to believe, are traveling across the sky when they come into the Earth's atmosphere at maybe fifteen to 20,000 miles an hour. So if you were lucky enough to see one of those things, did it have a trail, you said, behind it? Like it left a jet trail, like a contrail? Yeah, a trail like you could see the whole light spectrum, the different yeah. colors behind it. It started out as red, and it went into some purples and greens. Oh, yeah. You were lucky to see something that most people can't see in a whole lifetime. So I consider you very lucky. You probably saw, I don't know exactly, but more likely a fireball or what they call a bolide if it was that bright or that long-lasting. Thank you, Paul. Frank is on Long Island. Hello, Frank. Hey. uh, Hi, Steve. Thanks for your wonderful observations. But thank you, sir. Just a question. I'm not sure if you believe uh, that we're being visited every once in a while, but if you do, how do you reconcile the, the absolute need for these things wherever they're coming from, even from around the corner, 300 years away, light years away? How do they travel at the speed of light? Well, that's interesting because no, I no, you really. I'm, I mean, I'm full of full of opinions. They are doing that somehow. Right. I'm a, I'm if full of opinions are. on this, Frank. But here's here's generally what I think. I go back to this theory that I kind of came up with after time. How come we've never seen anything? I don't have a credible shred of information or piece of anything that anybody can show me. Let's say it's deep six and they hit it in some vault like in you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The reality is this. I don't know. Our physics doesn't tell us that anything goes faster than the speed of light, at least as the conversation is right at this moment. There's all these different theories some of these things, you know, that, that are called tachyons, blah, blah, blah. We could go into a longer discussion sometime. Right. But I'm, I'm kind of the opinion of this, and I know this may sound hard to people. I'll say it once again, Frank. I believe that we couldn't all get along on the earth there. 
I know that's pretty obvious. Just look around. Mm. You know, sad, sad to talk about bad things. But the reality is, let's say the world was destroyed, as Stephen Hawking said, we need to get off the planet, maybe a nuclear war, climate crisis, whatever. I think humans went underground and AI took over. And there was a melding between AI and the human species and some kind of biological thing, just like Elon Musk is trying to work on these neural links. And we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of years into the future. Maybe what we're seeing, or these transfigurations of objects in the sky like Tic Tacs, could be relatively something who they know how to move through time and space. We don't know how to do that. The fourth dimension is time. So I'm saying, I don't know if there's spacecraft from another world. I believe there's probably life out there. But I'm vexed on how they got to go to the speeds like you're talking about beyond the speed of light. That's crazy. So even from here, let's say we went to Alpha Centauri, you know, the great place that the, you know, the sci-fi shows Lost in Space went to. They left the Earth allegedly in 1997 on the Jupiter 2. I love it. I have a model of it sitting on my desk here. But even then, their speed, let's say they could go the speed of light. That's four and a half years traveling at the speed of light just to get to another little star. That's why I'm saying I think it all matters where somehow, I know I sound a little off the wall on this, but maybe not. Maybe most people think it's cool. It's a theory that the ability to travel faster than light, I don't know if that's necessarily the way things are happening right now, if there is extraterrestrial life. I think it's something from our future that's come back. And the craziest part of it is I think AI melded into the, to the biology so that these tic-tac objects that are being seen – they're sentient beings. In other words, it's actually like an organ or a heart. It's something biological and also, ele- wow. I hate the word electronic. But Frank, do I like I need a shot of uh, whiskey? or do N- I No, more, <laughs> no, no wow, more so that's... than me. No more so than me. Wow, no, 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 no. I mean, it's just a theory. I, I, I haven't published. I'm, I'm no scholar in that regard in, the, in saying that. I'm just giving an opinion. But Frank, I want to hear what you think. Well, you know, I, I, I believe that people are seeing these things. Oh yeah, and they and they just no explanation for them. But you just offered a potential explanation for them. That Maybe potentially, you know. And I just right. in my in my heart of heart, I I can't imagine that intelligent life has figured out how to travel millions of years with just a neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, Frank, at at multiple speeds of light. But what you proposed right. is is something that. Could explain some of these observations. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. Well, Frank one one last quick comment. What Frank is saying, think of it this way. My basic, basic evidence comes from smarter people than me. The great nuclear physicist Enrico Fermi, he came up sitting having lunch with uh, Robert Oppenheimer on this concept. Now he, it's, it's, now it's called the Fermi paradox. Why have we, we sent all these signals out into space? Mm. How come we've never had a response? So maybe there's something what they called, or he called, the great filter that's preventing some sort of ability for us to communicate out there, or maybe this intelligent species out there doesn't want to be bothered with us, but I still go back to something more localized, and I think it has a lot to do with what we call quantum physics and quantum mechanics. We're learning so much stuff, Frank. Think about quantum computers. They would make the present Internet be so obsolete because they work in something called qubits, which is something internal to the atom, that's more bizarre than just moving, you know, little bits and bytes across the primitive technology, even though it's cool. There's stuff out there that I'm sure would just baffle our minds. You know, uh, just to go back to the the eclipse uh, for a second, a couple of terms that we that you've been using, um, supermoon um, uh, and yes. flower moon. Um, you can have a supermoon or a flower moon without a lunar eclipse, right? Or can't you? You can. Absolutely. 
So in other words, the part that I'd delete from that would be the blood moon. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the blood moon is not an astronomical term. I mean, there's a lot of people who write in the religious sense, this is cool, in the eschatological area, which is what? The prophecy of the talk, what happens in end of times. I mean, looking back to the end of the Bible, as far as the last book of the Bible in Revelations. But the interesting thing is, you write, you can have a full moon like you do every month. And this particular moon is called the full flower moon. It has probably 12 other names. Go pick the one you want. Native American cultures, God bless them, they pick these. And they, had, they know a lot. They, I didn't say they knew a lot. They know a lot. And yes, you can have a supermoon, quote, close to the earth, or I call it, in a true astronomy term would be, this would be a full flower moon or a near perigee moon. But they talked about it and says, well, it's a supermoon because it's in this distance. But the blood moon would only be part of it if it were a total eclipse of the moon. 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions in just a minute. Uh, Dr. Sky is here for the hour talking about the uh, supermoon, the blood moon, the lunar eclipse that we're going to be able to watch this weekend. If you have questions, uh, you can give us a call. 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, save it for a rainy day. For love may come and tap you on the shoulder some starless night. Just in case you feel you want to hold her, you'll have a pocket. Pocket full of starlight, catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Save it for a the great Perry Como singing about catching a falling star. If you ever want to know, if you ever want to know the music, we're playing on this show. Join our Facebook group. Just on Facebook, search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Uh, my guest for the hour is Steve Cates, aka uh, Doctor Sky. Uh, you could check out his Doctor Sky blog at ktar dot com. Man with not only a lot of knowledge but the best voice in all of radio. I wish he was on our station all the time, and we're very, very lucky that we get to tap into his expertise so often. Uh, we're going to try and answer as many of your questions as we can within the next 13 minutes. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Bill in Huntington. Hello, Bill. How you doing? Great. Morning, Bill. Now, all right. A lot of people say, you know, the solar eclipse, it upsets birds and stuff or it confuses them. Does a lunar eclipse do anything like that to animals? You know, I don't think so. And you bring up something interesting, Bill, that total solar eclipses. No, lunar eclipses, I don't have any information on. I've watched so many of them, and hopefully people will watch this and come up with their own deductions. But here's what happens at at solar eclipses, for the people that don't know this. You'll notice just before the shadow, if you're in the totality path, you'll notice that this thing called shadow bands comes before the eclipse itself when it's total. What's that? So if you laid a sheet on the ground, 
okay, or a big area in a parking lot, you'll see this rippling in the, in the it looks coming across the ground like something moving. And what it is, is the temperature change that's going on. Because in a total solar eclipse, we measured it up in Rigby, Idaho. It was, say, 78 degrees when the sun was out. And when the solar eclipse came by, the temperature dropped 15 minutes in five minutes. So that's what you see. And we noticed animals in this the total solar eclipse, they'll be spooked. A lot of the cows and horses will look to go back to a barn. You know, insects start like ants, particularly start to go back, and the eclipse don't last that long. But animals do. But no, there's nothing that I could say with a total, I mean, excuse me, with a total lunar eclipse. But i got to mention this, Bill, and Frank, this is interesting. Let me be very clear. The April 8th, 2024 eclipse actually winds up coming as close to New York State. So people, hopefully in, with clear weather, in Buffalo, New York, so in other words, you don't have to travel too far. But the weather at that time of the year may not be cooperative. Let's hope it is. And in Montreal, in Canada. But here's one that will knock the park, guys. If we were around, well, this sounds ludicrous, May 1st, 2079, if we woke up right in New York City, if we were on Staten Island, Frank, right? If we were in Manhattan or downtown, let's say, by Wall Street, the sun, or in the big tower, let's say the Empire State Building, the sun would rise on the horizon in a total eclipse. That would be totally freaky, but I'm not planning on being around in 2070. <laughs> well, you never know. 800-848-WABC. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello, Nick. Oh, hi, Frank. Uh, great show. Yeah. Uh, question for Dr. Sky. With all with the space sure. travel, light speed, uh, with all the debris that's in space, meteorites, space junk, you know, all different types of things, how could something possibly move at the speed of light and avoid, you know, particles in space, debris, and, every, and moving at 186,000 miles per second? Uh, mm -hmm. How could something avoid hitting the space debris and not being totally annihilated? Well, the good part of it, Nick, let's say for a minute that the speed of light travel was plausible. Obviously, if you look at shows, of course, like Star Trek from the past and others, in space, they would have had to have some sort of navigation system that at least pushes us between point A and point B. But you're right. What if we ran into an errant small asteroid? Would there be a problem? Yes, there would. I don't know what would happen, but the truth of the matter is we don't have any real, you know, we don't have any real relativistic information on things that go faster than the speed of light. I don't like to give homework out, Nick, and, and to Frank and to the audience, but if you look up the word tachyon, it's allegedly particles that are in subatomic mass that theoretically could go faster than light. But every time I try to get somebody to qualify this, it always goes back to some intricate mathematical mm. formula. We need a Stephen Hawking, Nick, to be able to decipher this. And unfortunately, nothing. But if you were to go at that speed to answer the question, you probably would annihilate the object if it was small because of the mass and energy that you have going at that speed. Remember, what happens to you is that you theoretically would increase in mass as you move through space, as you move through the time-space continuum. This is fascinating stuff, but I wish I really had a better answer. 800, thank you, Nick. 800-848-WABC. You know, I know that you mentioned the prime viewing hours for this uh, lunar eclipse on Sunday, and it sounds like with only 30% cloud cover, the w weather is going to be pretty cooperative and people are going to be able to see the yes. lunar eclipse either with uh, the naked eye or with a pair of binoculars or with uh, a telescope, whatever the case may be, and maybe even photograph it with uh, with a smartphone or a camera or whatever, whatever they have access to. But for people that are, aren't 
situated to have a good view of the sky or they don't want to go outside. You mentioned some webcast options for for that. What are some good sources, not only for this lunar eclipse, but for future celestial phenomena that people should keep in mind when it comes to viewing things through their computer screen? Great question. I mean, I'll go I'll go to what the, the, the default for this would be NASA. If you just search their site, they always have something going on. But with the plethora of, of people out there with these video cameras today, I'm sure there's going to be a whole list right now that I recommend. When we get a little more sophisticated on our end, we certainly would do that. Well, we do, Frank, and we're going to be, just to remind the audience here, I mean, obviously people would want to make the journey, mm-hmm. but maybe they can't. We'll be in Sedona at a beautiful resort that we love. And why are we going to be there? Because not because of the resort, it's a great place, but we're going to be there. The guests are going to be treated to this. But for us, this is an evening event. This starts right after sunset. So we have a place there that we can see this, but hopefully the weather will be good too. And then as this eclipse for us is three hours earlier on all the timing, what we've talked about here in Arizona, we have friends that are, I'm not going to be at that, but they're actually going to have like a big barbecue and they're going to celebrate. And what's good about that for the earlier hours how about little kids that never get to see this kind of stuff? And hopefully with the holidays, I mean, with the Memorial Day coming and maybe school out of session, what better way to have fun with your kids and be able to, you know, show them something like this in that time zone? But don't forget, East Coast and the listeners of 77 WABC, you'll get another opportunity to do that. It not, it's not always going to be on December the 21st when it's freezing. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's good advice. By the way, in case we do have listeners in Arizona or people that do are nearby and want to make the trip to Sedona, how, is that open? Can anybody go to that? They can. I mean, we prefer that they make a reservation, sure. but I have nothing to do with that. I mean, my 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 skill set on this is just to show people this, and I'm a privilege and honor to do it. The place is called the Wild W I L D E Resort and Spa. Just Google it. I'm not looking at the computer right now. But the Wild Resort and Spa, it's a beautiful place. We've been there for 10 years. It's under a different name now, which is the new name, the Wild Resort. And it just has the romance. And I know so many listeners, believe me, every time we do these programs, Frank, I have so many people from Boston, New York, let's say Florida and Texas, that just love to come there. And again, I'm not part of the you know, Chamber of Commerce for Sedona, but it's a beautiful place. And maybe that's some other place in the future that we can all gather and uh, break bread and observe the sky from, I think, one of the most beautiful places I've seen since I've lived out here. But remember, I'm a native New Yorker myself, born in Jamaica, Queens, and I never forget my roots. Absolutely. Gino is in Manhattan. Hello, Gino. Hello. Good morning. I'm calling because I saw a solar eclipse total of 1970, March 7th. My father showed me through a welding glass (laughs) from a welding helmet, and I saw it perfectly with no damage to my eyes. That's awesome. Gino, where were you? I was in New Jersey at the time, in central New Jersey. Wow. And it was fantastic. You know, Gino, it brings tears to my eyes, and I'm being serious, Frank, on this one. March 7th, 1970, my father, who was a carpenter, took off work from his job, and I was shocked. He said to me, son, let's drive to Florida because we're going to be able to see this eclipse. Gino, March 7th, 1970. But guess what? We drove down there. I never went to Florida. And guess where we went? A little town called Perry, which was right in the central line. And as I stood there, it was pouring rain, and it got dark as night. I never got to see it. But, Gino, 
I'm with you, brother. That was an awesome eclipse, I'm sure you, you saw. But I got a whole rain, but I'll never forget my father's good intentions. Uh, before we run out of time here, since we did spend a, a little bit of time talking about uh, extraterrestrial theories or UAP theories, uh, May 17th, next week, uh, Congress is going to have their first hearings on this in 50 years. Now, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. Do you think there's anything that folks should actually expect to come out of these hearings, or will this be some grandstanding politicians and some evasive Pentagon bureaucrats? What do you think? Well, it's a good question, Frank. I'm hoping that something good comes out of this, but unfortunately, the way things go in Washington, and not totally down on it, but I don't know. I don't feel totally confident. I think it's going to be a rehashing of things, but here, here's the bottom line, and everybody, I think, knows this. I don't think I'm coming on your show to give them any new revelation. There obviously is evidence out there to show this, and why are we not being told this? I mm. never understood that. So I'm hoping something good comes out of it, but at least give us something. I mean, can somebody at least show us a piece of metal or a piece of craft, allegedly like Roswell had, that has some hieroglyphic markings on it that some with their magic marker didn't put on there? And let's know that something, you know, I don't think I'd lose sleep if somebody told me that there are extraterrestrials, they visited the Earth. And they've been doing it since the time of the uh, Egyptians and before that. Sure. I think it'd be a welcome treat. Sure. Uh, talking with Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. Richard is in New Jersey. Hello, Richard. Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. Good morning. Thank you, Richard. Uh, I wanted I wanted to uh, find out something about how gyroscopic effects work. I mean, when I was a kid, I had that little toy. You pull the string and it would stand mm -hmm. there and be stable and... I drive motorcycles, and, uh, you know, the thing is very stable until you come down to a dead stop, and then it wants to fall over. And <laughs> yeah. I, just wonder, I just wonder, in a nutshell, uh, you know, what makes this work? I've talked to other people, and they, they just don't know the effects. And uh, I went on the Internet, and it's so much mathematics. Uh, they At the end, they just say, accept it. But I just wondered, in a nutshell, would it work in space where there's no magnetic forces, uh, a total vacuum, uh, you know, stuff like that. Maybe you could just great give question. me a little bit of information. Yeah, great question. And we could cover this for hours. But no, in space, you probably have no gyroscopic effect because you're right. There's no gravitational force of any kind. Simply on the Earth, we're talking about rotation of the Earth. There's something called a Coriolis effect, which directs winds and changes because of the Earth's rotation. But here's an interesting sidelight. I'm a motorcycle rider. And obviously, I love my Yamaha FC1. People think I'm nuts at 66 being on this race rocket bike. <laughs> but no matter what bike you're on, when you come to a zero, I always have my legs planted on the ground because guess what? As you know, Richard, gravity works to its extreme, and all that weight's going to go on the side. But if I was in space, the interesting thing on gyroscopes is unless we were near a gravitational source or truly in space, you would not have any kind of gyroscopic effect effective because there's no... There's no stability gravity within the field that you're in. It would be simply a blank. Well, uh, we are just about out of time. Uh, Steve, the hour always flies by when, yes. uh, whenever you're here. I really appreciate the time this morning. Uh, best My of luck with, uh, with the viewing in Sedona on yes. Sunday. We'll compare notes afterwards, and I'll look forward to our, uh, our next conversation on the radio. Thank you, Frank. It's always a privilege to be here on 77 WABC. Thank you, and the listeners have a good morning. And what? Always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. 
we appreciate the time with you and your station. Absolutely. I want to encourage everybody uh, to uh, check out DrSky.com, but also the Dr. Sky blog at KTAR.com. Coming up next hour, uh, we're going to talk with Jeremy Murphy, one of our most popular guests, uh, author of a very provocative new book called F Off Chloe. Surviving the OMGs and FMLs in your media career. Yeah, I guess in the words of Casey Kasem, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, one story we didn't get to uh, talk about yesterday was the announcement by Elon Musk, essentially the announcement, that by Elon Musk that he thinks Donald Trump should be reinstated to Twitter. Now, obviously, I'm not going to spend a lot of time rehashing the story. Most of you already know, I think, what's occurred is that in the aftermath of the January 6th riot, uh, there were a whole bunch of people that were essentially purged from Twitter. And one of them was Donald Trump for violations of the terms of service. They said, I guess he was encouraging violence or whatever the case may be. And um, Elon Musk, who is now going to be the new owner of Twitter in all likelihood, he said this week, I do think it was not to, uh, excuse me, I do think it was not correct to ban Donald Trump, I think it was a mistake. I would reverse the PERMA ban. Now, uh, and then he goes on to say, banning Trump from Twitter didn't end Trump's voice. It will amplify it among the right, and this is why it's morally wrong and flat-out stupid. Now, here's what's interesting. Jack Dorsey, who was the CEO of Twitter and had no problem censoring all sorts of people, he was the co-founder of Twitter, he says he agrees with Elon Musk that former President Trump should have his Twitter account reinstated. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that a week or two ago, and I haven't really talked to him about it yet, but a week or two ago, Roger Stone said that when he tried to get back on Twitter, he was told that he was still banned. Now, my understanding is the same thing is true for Mike Lindell, in my view, who they should both be on Twitter as well. But and this is one of the uh, um, one of the subjects that I was going to go over with Bill O'Reilly if we spoke to him this week. And we may still. But um, I, I started thinking to myself, who should be banned from Twitter and who should have the ban lifted? Obviously, I don't think Roger Stone should be banned. I don't think Mike Lindell should be banned. I don't think Donald Trump should be banned. 
But even on the other side of the political spectrum or even people whose politics are not that easy to quantify uh, that have been people that have been labeled as hate mongers or whatever else. My view is. Almost everybody should be allowed to tweet. And I realize that's a that may sound crazy to some people. But that is my view. Now, I think there's certainly going to be. Look, the most egregious example that I could think of is Louis Farrakhan. A friend of mine is a uh, is a comedian, and he tweeted when Elon Musk took over tweeted, uh, Twitter. He said essentially, well, finally, now we can get Brother Farrakhan reinstated to Twitter. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And I was thinking, would I have any problem with Louis Farrakhan being reinstated to Twitter? Now, this is someone who not in tweets but in real life has called has said Jews are essentially termites. He said I'm not anti-semite, I'm anti-termite and a bunch of other horrible things including he may have played a role in the um in the assassination of uh, Malcolm X. Should that person be allowed to be on Twitter? And I've thought about it a great deal. And my answer is yes. And um In my judgment, social media or the media in general, Twitter especially, works best when there are more voices, when anybody is free just about to tweet. And if there are specific violations of terms of service because you're tweeting images of graphic pornography or you're tweeting images of um, a violent crime being committed or you're um, you're tweeting hate speech. And we can have a whole discussion about what hate speech actually is and isn't. I think you should be allowed on Twitter. I think the prohibition maybe would be on the tweets themselves. You know, they always say that the the Supreme Court, I think it was Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, gave the example of reasonable limits on free speech. For instance, you're not allowed to falsely yell fire in a crowded theater. But so I think my view, even though I know Twitter is a private company and it has nothing to do with the First Amendment, really, I think if Twitter is going to be something that's going to be productive in people's lives and if it's going to be something that's a a fun means of entertainment and an effective means of information, my view is everybody should be on it. Roger Stone, Louis Farrakhan, the Ayatollah, O.J. Simpson, Donald Trump, everybody. What do you think? What do you think the criteria should be for being banned from Twitter or for having specific tweets prohibited. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Where is the line? Now, let me tell you what I hope this discussion does not become. I hope we don't have a bunch of folks who are Trump supporters who call in and say, yeah, they should bring back Donald Trump, but keep Farrakhan banned. And they don't have any explanation as to why. I'd like some uh, objective criteria that you would use to determine who should be and who should not be banned. As I've explained, uh, so 800-848-9222, as I've explained, I um, have a whole new appreciation for what these social media companies go through because I moderate this very small Facebook group 
and you can join it. And it's meant to be a Facebook group about our show and the subjects that we cover on our show. And initially, when I started this Facebook group, and you could join it at uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, that's uh, M-O-R Radio Fans and Haters, when we started this, it was I did not intend on censoring anybody. But then pretty soon it became clear that you had these people that wanted to post all sorts of content that had nothing to do with the show. Then it became clear that you had a lot of folks that just wanted to post insulting things about the other hosts. And that causes a problem for me specifically because then you have other hosts see that and say, oh, Frank allowed that up there. That must be how Frank feels. And, you know, the last thing I want is people, you know, causing a beef behind the scenes here with that kind of a thing. And uh, then you had other people just promoting XYZ cause or XYZ politician. And that's not really the purpose of the group either. So I had to institute, and I hated to do it, I had to institute this situation where we would institute an approval before these posts get approved. And I hate to do it. And that's just managing a group with less than 3,000 people. I can't imagine trying to manage a million people or hundreds of millions of people or a billion people. Now, I realize in the case of the big tech companies, they have a whole staff that can tackle these things. But I think it just multiplies the problem. So what should the criteria be from being uh, for being prohibited from Twitter? Uh, because I found Jack Dorsey's comments very interesting. And I know initially, and you want to comment, please do, uh, 800-848-9222. We have uh, open phone lines if you want to jump on board. Um, I found Jack Dorsey's comments to be really interesting. And I found them to be a recognition of the fact that Twitter has ma- has overreached, has made some significant mistakes in censorship. And my view is... Everybody should be allowed. Maybe not everybody should be allowed to tweet everything, but I think everybody should be allowed. What do you think? Uh, 800-848-WABC. Coming up in just about 15 minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Jeremy Murphy. He's the author of the book F Off Chloe. He's become one of our other more popular guests. And we're going to do the AC report next hour. We're going to look at the politics of Atlantic City today with uh, Jesse Kurtz. He is the only elected Republican in the city of Atlantic City. There are other elected Republicans that represent other parts of Atlantic City, Atlantic County, for instance, but he's the only Republican on the Atlantic City City Council. So we're going to talk about what it's like being the lone Republican in a city that's heavily Democrat and uh, what's happening down there going into summer, because there's some fascinating public policy conversations going on down there as well. Meantime, Jason is in Spokane, Washington. Hello, Jason. Hello. Yes, I was calling to say, I think, uh, on Twitter... There shouldn't be any bans that uh, you could let anybody anybody get on there and say anything they want, because once you start banning something, well, I mean, it's good for people to hear all sorts of arguments, even if they're bad, because you don't want to be the person in charge of saying what people should hear and what people shouldn't. That's my Well, I agree with you, right? I agree with you. Now, the question then becomes, should you be able to go on Twitter um, and spread blatant false misinformation? Should you be able to do that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because you can't assume right. when you're on Twitter everything that you see is the truth. Right. 
we all have to be yeah we all have to be adults and figure it out for ourselves so for instance um if someone wanted to go on twitter and say all day long tweet after tweet the holocaust never happened and this is some sort of a, a plot to make the world more sympathetic to the global Zionist conspiracy. And that's all they tweet about all day long. Is that someone that should be allowed to A, be on Twitter and tweet those things, number two? Uh, both. Absolutely. They should be able to be on Twitter and tweet those things. And one thing you can do if you don't like that is to have some sort of a rating system sponsored by Twitter that people can look at, and Twitter can say, this person is known for lying, and here's some of the lies that they have put in the past. And therefore, people who don't want to do all the research can sort of trust somebody and get a good idea of how trustworthy a certain person is. Uh, Very interesting, Jason. Thank you. Aaron is in New Jersey. Hello, Aaron. Hi. So... I just wanted to say uh, regarding this, obviously it's a very touchy subject, uh, allowing everybody, not allowing everybody. Right. uh, Where do you draw the line? Tell me. Right. Right. So the question, that's really the question. You know, you could have um, mass murderers on there, like uh, Iran and all these well, th- those guys are on Twitter. We have John Hinckley, who tried to kill President Reagan and who um, ultimately succeeded in killing uh, James Brady, albeit um, 35 years later. We have O.J. Simpson, who I believe took part in the murder of two people. We have uh, the Ayatollah of Iran. We have a lot of other unsavory characters that are on Twitter. But we have some others, right. like Louis Farrakhan, for instance, that are banned. So how do you decide, if you were in charge... Who gets banned and who doesn't? Right. So, so I mean, personally, I'd say, you know, if a guy is, if a guy is a terrorist, if he's citing violence, you know, all these things, that should be, that should be a fine line, you know. If, if you want to allow everything, you know, you you're gonna have to allow these stuff, and it, it gets very problematic. That it does. That it does, Aaron. Thank you. BJ is in Queens. Hello, BJ. Hey, Frank, and congrats on the good ratings. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Tip it ahead to you. Uh, By the way, I think that uh, the end of, uh, uh, if you really want to remedy this type of problem, who gets banned, who doesn't, then you create platforms. You know, they they try to displace platform all of uh, uh, Parler and Getter and all these places. Mm -hmm. And now conservatives have three platforms. We have Twitter now. We have Parler. We have Getter. And there's going to be probably more. But let me just interject, and and I'm going to let you make your point uninterrupted. But I just want to add one thing to what you just said. To me, Twitter is a bit different from Parler and Getter. And I, I don't go on Parler or Getter, so maybe you can speak to this better than I can. Uh, or or Trump Social. But Twitter, to me, is a place where people of varying ideologies can interact with one another and exchange ideas and exchange comments and debate. Um, whereas I, I, my impression of Parler and Getter is that both of those platforms are primarily just for conservatives. And I think that's a big difference. That's a huge difference, and I think you pretty much summed it up. Twitter speaks to the general culture. There's lots of tens of thousands of accounts 
that are totally apolitical, and people use it, of course, to promote, and these accounts are monetized, and they're tied into Instagram and YouTube and all of it. So uh, whereas Parler and Getter are more of a conservative philosophy or a political ideology, um, my problem is uh, I have a couple of problems with. One, used to be community standards used to be much clearer uh, and, and outside of uh, – so, for instance, the, there are things that uh, when you and I were, were younger, if people said them in public, whether it be on TV or casting or on uh, the – Right, news, like on radio, there are certain prohibitions exactly. about we, we can't say, for instance. You you get fired. You remember Bob Grant fired and, and uh, Don Imus got fired for saying certain stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, and whether whether you agree or disagree, that stuff pales in comparison. Now you have a situation where you have a special uh, legal treatment called Section 230, where these platforms are supposed to be non-publishers. That is to say, they're just supposed to be a neutral mm-hmm. kind of observing eye. But yet they use their community standards. And it seems to me, uh, and I think uh, there's a preponderance of evidence to support my position, that conservatives are targeted very much unfairly. They're shadow banned and they violated their Section 230 status by doing so. So I have real problems with, uh, uh, you know, all of these social uh, media platforms. I think you can never – I think, you know, it's it's such a beautiful country we live in because no matter how much you try to suppress the First Amendment, it always gets out there. Like I said, you all of these platforms after uh, January 6th, uh, they took it out on conservatives in a big way. They I remember they took parlor down off the Amazon uh, server, and, uh, you know, it took them months to get it up again. And now conservatives dominate, dominate all the three sites. The voice will get out there, ultimately, and I think the people should be allowed to choose. But getting back to, you know, this community standard used to be easier. When you had people that were violent or promoted violence or hatred or said absolute lies, like Jesse Smollett and stuff like this, Years ago, you were just uh, – that's it. You were persona non grata. Forget it. You yeah. know, you, you, now you can spread and say anything you want, and you can target people, and that's wrong. BJ, uh, good points. Thank you. A couple of things based on what, what you said. One, um, you got to understand, Twitter has nothing to do with the First Amendment. Twitter is a private company. Twitter has the right to ban anybody they want. Because they're a private company. Nobody, you have in the First Amendment a right to free speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. You do not, in the First Amendment, have a right to tweet. Now, you mentioned the examples of um, Bob Grant and Don Imus. Those are two interesting examples. One, um, we in the case of Bob Grant, had he made those comments about Ron Brown when this company was not owned by Disney... I don't think he would have been fired. He was fired because the corporation that owned this radio station felt that the negative publicity to Disney was not worth keeping Bob Grant on the air. In the case of Imus, he was fired for the, you know, the uh, Rutgers basketball team comments because there was an advertiser exodus from WFAN and from MSNBC. Uh, the show, the uh, cable outlet that was simulcasting his show at the time. So they made a financial decision 
because of the advertisers running away from Imus at the time. So it's the same thing. If I say something crazy and advertisers don't want to be associated with me and people don't want to listen and John Katsimatidis doesn't want that affecting the WABC brand and I get fired for saying that the earth is flat or the Holocaust never happened, um, that's not a violation of the First Amendment. I have a right to say those things. I don't have a right to have a radio show. That's the difference. And as far as Section 230 goes, and I'm going to not spend a lot of time on this one because I want to try and get in at least a couple people before we get to Jeremy Murphy. But I also did this recently when we had the man on who wrote the book on Section 230. My fear with removing Section 230 protection from the social media companies is that it would make them censor more because they'd be worried about constant lawsuits. My hope is with Elon Musk that we get more voices on Twitter now. So my question for you, and I want to reiterate the question, because as interesting as BJ was and as smart as he was, he took us in a few different directions. Where is the line? Who should be banned from Twitter? My view, almost no one. Louis Farrakhan, Donald Trump, Mike Lindell, Roger Stone, let them all on. If they tweet things that are objectionable, maybe you block that tweet. But I think as a, uh, you know, if I were running Twitter or advising Elon Musk, you let everybody on. What's your view? Mark is in Garden City. Hello. Hi, Frank. Hey. Frank, uh, I agree with you. I think nobody should be banned from Twitter. And I think everybody should be allowed to tweet because I think free speech would take care of it all. If somebody's tweeting out lies, I think free speech, there would be plenty of other people that would have the arguments to show that what they're saying is not true. And I think it's dangerous when you have one side, as we have right now, you know, it's basically the Democrat Party and their agents who are deciding, quote unquote, what the truth is and what's disinformation. These are the same people that have told us for years about the Russia hoax, that told us about uh, Biden's son's, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, that that wasn't true. And it turned out that's all disinformation. They told us certain things about COVID and on and on that turned out not to be true. And right now, they're the ones who are deciding what's disinformation and, and what are you getting? You're getting disinformation. So I think if you just opened it up to everybody, no matter how much they lied, like you gave the example about the, um, the Holocaust, you would have so many contrary right. opinions to show the truth of what really happened. Yeah. Uh, great points, Mark. I want to try and grab one or two four folks before we get to Jeremy Murphy. Robert in Philadelphia. Hello. Robert. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Hey, what's Good on your mind? You. you too. Uh, not too much. I have a little bit a little bit of experience. I don't know if you remember, like, how big the chat rooms were online back in, like, the late 90s. Sure, absolutely. Like I was in quite a few wrestling and, chat rooms back in those days. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I was asked to be a moderator at one of the big, big, big chat rooms. Um, I probably wasn't a good choice because I agree with you. And I think that everybody should be on Twitter. And as the prior caller said, it's not like it's a hate site where you go there and all you're exposed to is this garbage. Yeah. You have real time information decrying the outrageous statement right there to look at. I actually think that, Having allowing people like that on Twitter would stop people who might be susceptible to that kind of information from falling for it 
because of all the responses that come out. You know, know? Robert, it's a great point. It's a great point. I have to run. Those of you that are holding on this subject, please continue to hold, because maybe we'll even get into this with with Jeremy Murphy, because the question I want to ask for you, all of you that side with me, is what do you do if people get so sick of Holocaust denial, flat earth garbage on Twitter that they don't want to be a part of it? Because that's happened with me in the Facebook group. People get so tired of certain folks in the Facebook group, they say, you know what? I don't want to participate in it anymore. So are we better off if the good people, you know, I hate to make uh, judgments about good and bad, abandon those platforms and leave them only to the agents of misinformation? I just, I'm curious where you think the line should be. And. I think it's a more complicated problem than I think many of us appreciate. Jeremy Murphy, author of F Off Chloe, straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Of all the books that I have read over the course of the last year, the one written by our next guest, I can honestly say, is not the best written. It does not have the best story. It is uh, not going to be remembered in the annals of great literature uh, generations from now. It will not be taught in in, uh, higher academic institutions of any type. But I can tell you two things. One... It is the funniest book that I've read in the last year, maybe ever. And two, it has more practical advice for the modern day workplace than any other workplace book or self-help book you're ever going to come across. Uh, The book is called F Off, Chloe, Surviving the OMGs and FMLs in Your Media Career. Its author is Jeremy Murphy, the founder of 360 Bespoke, which is a respected, least until this book was written, Boutique PR Agency, and uh, he is the author of F Off Clurry. uh, Jeremy, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Thank you for having me again. Uh, Jeremy, for people who haven't heard our previous discussions, uh, what's this book all about? It is a humor book about the cultural divide between young and and old in the workplace, and specifically about this new breed of Gen Zers who are very entitled and passionate um, uh, want to change the world, but want the world to conform to what they believe. And I find that very humorous because that is not going to happen. Mm. Um, but they're very woke and they're very self-involved. And I thought it was just right for humor. Again, the title of the book is F Off Chloe. Who's Chloe? So Chloe is, for me, it, it's, Chloe is the embodiment of this generation. And I don't mean to uh, paint too wide a brush on this because there are very, very talented, resourceful people in Gen Zers. The Chloe's are a very small breed. And uh, the reason I named it, because they all seem to be named Chloe. Mm. But um, specifically, I had sent an email out to a very wide group of uh, clients or one client in particular with a strategy. And someone named Chloe replied just to me. And said, TLDR, LOL, and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and I had to Google it. And TLDR means too long, didn't read. 
And I, I just thought that was hysterical. And so I was like, okay, that's my book. <laughs> and uh, her name was Chloe. It, the book is absolutely hysterical. Hey, uh, one thing that um, people that I've recommended the book to who have read it have asked is, well, the book is funny and it really does illustrate some true, true to life instances of what's going on in the modern day workplace. But does he have to use so much profanity? Why do you use so much profanity in this book? Because it's me. <laughs> I'm Irish. You know, that's how I grew up. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh, that's just my life. I just find a, 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 a well-placed F word or C word has great effect. It gets right to the, to the root. Um, you know, I worked, I grew up in a newsroom and, you know, uh, I was with night newspapers. I was a, a daily newspaper reporter and that's, that was the culture. Um, and that's, you know, like when you're a journalist and you're starting out, there's not a lot of room for like nuance, you know, it's, you, you just, you get to the heart of it and, um, that's just who I am. And I, I just felt it like it gave it a little sauce. I didn't, I didn't want it to be politically correct. I didn't want it to feel clinical because mm. my whole thing was, I, I just want to tell the truth. I want to make people laugh. I want to like you know, take the varnish off stuff. And I just wanted to be myself. And anybody who's around me for 20 minutes knows I have a potty mouth. And so I was like, you know, if I'm going to like strip all this off and like be honest, I got to be honest. Over the last couple of years, the term Karen has entered into the popular lexicon as a description of sort of a young baby boomer or older generation X white woman, usually blonde, usually short hair, usually somewhat spoiled, uh, quick to call upon the manager, perpetually unsatisfied. What is the difference, just so, in terms of stereotypes and archetypes here, what's the difference between a Karen and a Chloe? Well, okay, for, Karens wear athleisure and fanny packs. Mm-hmm. They don't care about how they look. Chloe is all about herself. Chloe is all about grooming, all about her blowouts, all about how she looks, how she dresses, her makeup. It's all about her. And, you know, she has her own Instagram. She has her own, uh, you know, Snapchat. She's on TikTok. Chloe is more, you know, Karen just wants to yell and rage and talk about what's going, you know, how she's offended. Chloe is all about herself. Got because it. Chloe grew up on social media where she had an audience. So she had likes and followers and anything she said, she got cheers and, and high fives and whatever. So that's a difference. Uh, you know, Chloe is all about herself. She's inward where Karen is outward. Interesting. Okay. Got it. All right. So, uh, Chloe is, um, basically the star of her own reality show and, and, and Karen is, uh, perpetually unhappy with the, with how the reality show she's watching is unfolding. Yeah. And she wears athleisure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and so needless to say, you've met actual, actual Chloe's as well. Oh my God. I had one work for me. Uh, I've had several. They are, um, you know, it, it's a new phenomenon. I will say this. It's a new phenomenon, and it, it's come of age during Trump because a lot of people uh, felt um, dis, uh, I don't even know what the word is, uh, dis- and, and, and disfranchised and, and you know, um, Trump and then BLM and 
uh, a lot of stuff happened where people just felt, okay, I have to speak my truth. And um, so it really impassioned a whole generation of people, which is good, right? We want young people to be passionate and, um, you know, um, positive and altruistic. But you can't impose that on other people. Got and that, that is the, the Chloe's now just feel like, first of all, they're very vain and because they grew up on social media because they're very uh, uh, self-absorbed. But they also feel, well, I, I believe this, so everybody should believe it. And if you don't, you're horrible. You're a villain. You're a racist. You're, 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 you're sexist. Got it. Uh, now, um, you're a right winger, right? Actually, I was a Democrat, and now I am um, I'm a centrist. I actually I got my uh, driver's license renewed, and I changed from Democrat to independent. Ah, well, welcome aboard. As an independent, welcome Thank aboard. You. Um, I had read some uh, people just tuning in. We're talking with Jeremy Murphy. Uh, he's the author of the book F Off Chloe, Surviving the OMGs and FMLs in Your Media Career. Uh, I had read that this started off as some drunken Facebook musings. Is that true? Yeah. So it was during COVID and, you know, anybody who's worked in, uh, who owns their own shop, uh, you know, business just went through the floor. It just went, disappeared. Mm. And so for months, you know, you're not doing anything. You have nothing to do. And, you know, you're trying to, uh, you know, hustle business and whatnot. And one night I uh, was at my computer and uh, I just started making lists. And so at first, the first list was people I hate. But that got really long. And I was like, okay, that's not healthy. And then I started making lists of things I don't like about my industry, about PR. And then I I posted it on a a private Facebook group uh, of PR marketing people. And it just got traction. And people liked it. And I got comments. And and, and people were, like, quoting it. And someone from Skyhorse Publishing uh, was on this list. And called me and said, this is a book. And I had a book deal in two days. Wow. Uh, that's great. I, I uh, uh, Tony Lyons, the uh, president of Skyhorse, has been a guest on the show. I've known him for years. They're one of my favorite publishers because they are so fearless. They don't care what the, what the reaction is. They'll publish Woody Allen's sure. book. They'll publish Robert Kennedy's book. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, crazy conspiracy theory. Fine, fine, fine. Um, they're all about getting those ideas out there and stirring the pot, which I just love. So that's great. What has been the reaction to your book from people that have actually read it, not those that might euphemistically try to judge it only by its cover or its title. I have to say, I'm, I'm so heartened that I have not gotten one bad response. Um, you know, most of, you know, I, I go on Amazon. It's got like a 95% uh, five-star rating, which is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with that. And I think, you know, most people just, um, they go in it with an open mind because it's got a saucy title and they read it and they, and, and they get it for what it is. You know, it's humor. It's light. It's, uh, it's coarse. It's, you know, something you read at home. Um, the people who don't want to like it found, once they read it, they, they begrudgingly say it's funny. Mm. Because you know what it is? I'm not serious. It is not. We're not curing cancer here. Like, I just want people to take a breath and realize 
you know, we're, we, we've spent so much time being outraged. People are looking for things to be outraged about. And I wanted this to be kind of like take a breath, realize this is absurd. Have fun. You know what? Uh, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to point out that this stuff is insane. Um, and so I've been really, really heartened. I, re- I thought I was going to be canceled. Well, that's and the first thing you said not. to me when I met you at the radio station. Um, after I told you I read the book, the first thing you said to me was, I'm, I'm so going to be canceled, <laughs> aren't I? And I'm glad to hear that you haven't been yet. No, you know, I, I, you know, some I, I've seen some stuff online, kind of like, you know, the seeds of it. But I think people get it. I think people understand that, you know what, the best way to stop all this, you know, the, the, this wokeism, this, you know, uh, you know fire uh, torches, you know, people, you know, looking to, to cancel people is to mock it, is mm. to make fun of it. That's the only way we're going to win. Because if you give these people, if you treat it seriously, you can't win. Because that's when they accuse you of being racist and misogynistic and homophobic and whatever. But if you mock them, if you point out how absurd it is and make fun of them, that's how you get it. And that's what this book is. It's Do- basically like saying, you know, guys, this is stupid. Can we just can we just realize what, what, what they're doing? Can we realize that Harry and Meghan are idiots and <laughs> anything they say, please put it in the garbage. It's it, this is stupid. And that that's the whole purpose of the joke. Uh, the book is to come. Come on, people. Like, let's just be real. The book's certainly very amusing. But do you actually see any of these Chloe's in the workplace or their male equivalent, the Chad's actually changing any of their behavior once they're made aware of how annoying their behavior is to others? You know, that's a good question. Um, for now, so, so what's happening now is a lot of companies, corporations are, are very reticent. They're, they're kind of waiting to see how this is going to shake out. So they're tolerating it. And you see all these press releases that were sustainable and diversity and this council and that council. They're kind of all right. They're like, all right, we're going to put up with this. But, you know, business is business. And corporations, it's all about the bottom line. And they're going, once these corporations see, okay, this does not make money, we're losing money on this, this is not good for the bottom line, it's game over. Mm. And Mm. I think the Chloe's and the Chad's are going to learn real fast that your opinions don't matter. It's not about you, it's about the company and what you can contribute. Right now, you know, companies are like, well, all right, uh, let's hear them out. But I'm telling you, the next quarterly earnings, you know, these companies are going to be like, you know what? This is a waste of money. This is a waste of time. These people are idiots. Um, and it's over. Yeah, no, it's. I certainly hope so. Uh, that would make a, a lot more productive and pleasant workplace than right? uh, instead having uh, all these folks who, as you point out, have HR on speed dial um, and uh, all the disruptive, uh, uh, the disruptiveness that that brings to the workplace culture on a daily basis. Hey, um, I don't know if you see, you've seen this, but did you see the latest with um, with Patty Lapone? Um, yeah. So what exactly? If people haven't heard about this, what exactly did Patty Lapone do? And is this, even though she's out of the target age? 
age group for Chloe, being 73 years old, is this a Chloe-esque or Karen-esque thing to do that she did here? No, you know, I actually, I like Patty LaPone because she, she does not mince words. You know what? She's on stage. Um, she's performing. And, you know, there's one uh, person who is, you know, who doesn't have the mask on. And, you know, at some point, you know what? Know the rules. Okay. If it says you have to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want it, then don't go. Mm. And, you know, Patty is famous for doing that. You know, someone's phone goes off, she'll stop the show and she'll point them out. And I just like that about her. Like, you know what? If you don't wear a mask, don't go. Just right. don't go. Yeah. No, those are and the rules. She called them out. And I, I just, I, I congratulate her on that. I think that's great. You know, it's like, um, just if you don't want to do it, just don't go. Right. Fair enough. So this is not necessarily uh, something that is new to the culture. This she would have done this in a pre-Chloe world, a pre-Karen world. Oh, she's done it uh, her whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, she she people talking people on their cell phones. Um, you know, Patty's famous for that. They call it being laponed. <laughs> Hey, um, I've got to get your take on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial and how this is playing among the masses. Uh, What do you see happening here, if not legally, at least in terms of the public perception of both of these two? Well, first of all, I think this is the dumbest scandal in the history of scandals. Okay, how did this start? Amber wrote a column saying a, a, a former... Uh, lover or boyfriend or whatever had abused her. She did not name him. Okay. He felt, oh, she libeled me or whatever. He sued her. Okay. No one knew it was you. By suing her, you've announced it is you. Okay. Right. He outed himself, essentially. He outed himself. And now everything's in the public record. So there's photos of him passed out. There's drugs. There's photos of bruises and everything. This is so dumb. First of all, you've killed your own career. Like, do you honestly think Disney is going to hire you again? Like, you were Jack Sparrow. Right. Okay. Disney, family company. Like, this is so stupid. You're spending millions of dollars in legal fees to to prove what? That you didn't beat her up? Well, okay, there are a lot of photos that might say otherwise. There's photos of you passed out. I mean, come on. It's the dumbest thing I've ever, like, he's just not listening to his vice. Yeah, it seems, though, that he's maintained a fair number of supporters that side with him in this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure he has supporters. I'm just fascinated that by anybody cares these people live in such bubbles and it has no relevance to our lives okay i just don't understand i mean it's a soap opera Um, but neither of them are sympathetic i mean they're two privileged um uh you know people who have lived in hollywood in the bubble they have no sense of reality um i don't understand why people care 
that. Yeah, you know, um, I almost feel guilty not caring because wherever I go, I find people asking about this. I feel so. I'm thinking, you know, I should care more. Clearly, it's on television all the time. It's all over the newspaper. I I should be more invested in this, but I just can't bring myself to care about it. Well, whether whether it's the workplace or a bar or a restaurant, whatever the case may be, if you were to pick the generations, what's number one to avoid? Is it millennials? Is it Gen Z? Is it Gen X? Is it baby boomer? Who are the generations to avoid if you want to not be frustrated? Oh, Gen Z. They're the worst. A hundred percent. And and I say that with a caveat. So if you look at Gen Z, it is probably the most resourceful, um, capable generation to ever enter the workforce in terms of technology, in terms of knowing social media, knowing apps, knowing platforms, like knowing how to edit video. Like they are so far above us, right? But they are, they grew up on social media, A, so they think anything they say needs an audience and needs applause. And the other thing is their parents like them too much, Mm. You know, mm. this is a phenomenon where parents want to be friends with their kids. And I never understood this. Like, I'm the last person my mom wants to hear every day. <laughs> um, it's weird. Like, and, you know, these parents just coddled them and told them they're superstars and you're so great. And, you know, it's the trophy for showing up generation. And so they have not known adversity. No one's ever told them that. No, you're not special. And they bring that into adulthood and it's obnoxious how do the generations react with one another do the millennials get along better with the gen x's because they're closer in age or because they are closer in age is there sort of a natural competition of scarce resources in the jeremy murphy workplace ecosystem how do the generations interact with one another i think it's Basically, like comparing, like, you know, we hated, I'm Gen, I'm Gen X. Okay. We hated millennials until we had to deal with Gen Z. Mm. Now we love millennials (laughs) because they're not Gen Z. Um, And by the way, you know what? Uh, Boomers hated us. The the flower generation hated us. So I think it's kind of like this. Sure. It's cyclical. It's a rite of passage. Um, But what I will say is, um, I think Gen X is the last generation that really respected paying their dues where, you know, when I got into, I was just happy to have a job and I didn't come in with my own beliefs and what I want other people to feel. I just wanted a job and I knew I just started the bottom and, you know, you put up with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, work was not fun I and mean, it was fun, but it was not, um, clinical like you know bosses said stuff you had to do stuff that you didn't like you know you were abused not like physically but you know it it, it was not a day at the beach right there was a toughness and that was expected not that that would not that was the exception exactly and you know what that's what gives you your grit that's what gives you your your backbone you, you know uh your your thick skin and now Everybody, you know, uh, millennials, not so much, but Gen Zers are, are so sensitive and anything you say, they, 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 you know, it's like, oh, oh, my space. 
oh my God, oh my God, you've offended this and that. And it's like, they're not going to learn the hard way because you, you can't. Like, that, those days are over. Mm. You know, everybody is walking around in bubbles. Everybody's afraid to say something. Um, and I do feel bad for them because, you know, that's how you get good, right? You know, like, you, you, you fail and someone says, you failed and, and you're horrible and then you pick yourself back up and you don't do it again. Uh, now, you know, you say someone needs improvement and HR is going to come and tase you. <laughs> um, is this book only for media people or, or public relations people or can anybody, anybody get something out of this book? Anybody can. So uh, originally it was for written for media, but when I was writing, I realized this applies to every profession. There's a Chloe in finance. There's a Chloe in um, uh, ac- academia. There's a Chloe in law. There's a Chloe in in um, every industry. Um, everybody deals with this, and it, because it's 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 very particular to this generation. And like I said, this generation who uh, has never been told that they're not superstars, <laughs> and they come into the workforce, and that's where the humor to me is that that clash of seeing this breed come in and face these obstacles. Unfortunately, the Chloe's are winning because <laughs> they are very cunning and they know the rules have changed. Yeah, uh, clearly uh, you're, you're exactly right. Well, so that's what I was going to ask you is as funny as this book is, it is sort of written with a somewhat pessimistic tone because it does seem like uh, at people with sense of any generation have sort of thrown in the towel to this generation of social media obsessed HR callers. And it's I was going to ask you if you see any reason for optimism going forward. It sounds like the answer is no. No, because the problem is, you know, um, you know, in a macro sense, yeah, you know, the pendulum is going to swing. But personally, you know, you know, someone gets tarred with being a racist or homophobic or or misogynist or whatever, you know, that ruins your career. That ruins your life Mm. because in the Google age, that's there forever. And this is what these people know. And that's why I'm pessimistic about it, because, you know, uh, this particular breed of this generation know the the weapons that they have. And someone like me in my 40s, you know, late 40s, you know, someone uh, makes an accusation like that. Your your career is over. Right. Right. Uh, Uh, Absolutely right. Uh, That's the danger. Jeremy, it's a a phenomenal book. I uh, love talking with you about it. Uh, I'll look forward to uh, when you're back in town, having you in studio again. Appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with Jeremy Murphy, feel free to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. It starts with one. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If you want to comment on anything we're covering, 800-848-WABC. Hey, I really want to thank our uh, our owners, uh, John and Margot Getzimatidis, and uh, our president, Chad Lopez, for throwing this great party uh, last night, just really technically a few hours ago, uh, in celebration of the ratings for WABC. I imagine pretty soon they're going to have some photos of this on the uh, 77 WABC Facebook page if they're not up there already. And uh, when when I'm tagged or if I'm tagged, I will share them as well on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano fan. It was a lot of fun. Um, w- basically, it was a celebration of how far this radio station has come in an incredibly short amount of time. And uh, they recognized uh, this program for being number one in the market. They recognized Rita Cosby for being number one in the market and um, uh, Dominic Carter as well. And a lot of the other shows that are doing very, very well, uh, certainly number one in the news talk format, shows like Bernie and Sid and uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly, number one, AM or FM as well at 9 p.m., uh, shows like Bernie and Sid and uh, several other shows on the weekend as well. And the weekends, the growth that uh, we've seen on the weekends has been extraordinary. So it was a lot of fun. I didn't see I, I don't think Bernie or Sid were there. Obviously, Bernie is uh, in a tough spot uh, medically at the moment. But uh, Sid, I think, got a pass on attending because he has to be up at 4 a.m. Trust me, as somebody that used to do those hours, I know how difficult it is to be at any event at night. But um, almost everybody else was there. Dominic, Rita, and I were all there. Curtis was there. Dick Morris, Larry Kudlow, Anthony Weiner, Governor Patterson, Bill O'Reilly, Brian Kilmeade. And um, it was a it was it was it was nice to get together with everybody. Several of the panelists on the Cats Roundtable, obviously John Katzmanzidis himself, Judge Richard Weinberg, Ed Cox. So it was uh, it was a really fun event. A great uh, great dinner. I had the salmon, and uh, I usually stay away from the dessert. But see, that's the problem. See, if they gave us an option to order dessert, I wouldn't have ordered it. But and I'm not a big dessert guy. I don't I don't dig on sweets. But what they did was. They just put a plate of five different desserts at our table. So, all right, okay, there's a piece of cheesecake there. Is no one going to eat it? All right, let me have a bite. Okay, there's a piece of Italian cheesecake right next to it. Let me have a bite of that. So I'm hoping tomorrow's weigh-in is not as uh, as bad as I fear because of this little bit of dessert. But um, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to get together. And, you know, that really is what separates the experience of this radio station from other radio stations that I've worked at, um, is this really does feel a, like a community. And uh, that was really on display today. It was great to have so much fun with so many of, uh, of my colleagues. I, I spent a good portion of the night sitting with uh, my old friend Frank McKay, who is uh, now going to be the president, Chad announced this yesterday, of WABC on Long Island, 107.1 FM and our operations out there. And I think he's going to be doing a show out there as well. I invited to come on, uh, him to come on with me next week to talk about what exactly he is going to be doing. But um, I sat mostly with him and with um, uh, Liz Shapiro, who is the wife of uh, Todd Shapiro, whose name you might hear from time to time on our station. He's our public relations person. And uh, really, uh, Liz and Frank, uh, the three of us had a good time together. Oh, Joe Piscopo was there. He sang. He was phenomenal. But I got to tell you, a guy who really stole the show 
And John was literally in tears when he did a version of um, Jay Black's song, Caramia, was Vinny Madunio. And I've known Vinny for many years. He, he's a guy from my neighborhood. I had no idea that he could sing as well as he does. And, I mean, I was floored at his singing ability. And uh, it was really nice to see um, to see him as well. And I'm glad he's doing so well on the weekend as well. So big thank you to everyone who had a hand in inviting me. And it was great to see uh, our, our colleagues. Curtis uh, spent most of the night, like, he was in a weird mood, Curtis. I don't know what his story was. Uh, he, he spent most of the night in a corner huddled with the person who was his lead political consultant for the mayor's race. Uh, I hope he's not planning on using that guy for a future race because, quite frankly, the guy was a disaster. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno thanks for listening to our little program coming up we got the ac report we're to talk with city councilman jesse kurtz one of my favorite people to talk to he is really really an interesting guy and i'm looking forward to connecting with him finding out what's happening down there in atlantic city but uh, as you know i am a baseball fan and i came across i we came across a piece of video in my email of a home run at a minor league baseball game. And the caption underneath the video, the the, the headline, I should say, in this email that I received said, the announcer you need to hear to believe. I said, huh, what's the big deal? So then I look at the video, looks like a pretty ordinary home run. I watch it again. Nothing special. Below the video, I see a caption that says, this may look like an ordinary home run, but that's only because you're not listening to the call by Joey Zanaboni. How'd you like to have a name like Joey Zanaboni? I mean, I almost, I know nothing about Joey Zanaboni, but as soon as I read his name, I said, that's somebody that I should be friends with. How am I not friends with Joey Zanaboni? So um, if I, I want to schedule Joey Zanaboni on as, as a guest on this sh- jo- show just so I could keep saying Joey Zanaboni. Now, um, so I, the email says, this may look like an ordinary home run, but that's only because you're not listening to the call by Joey Zanaboni, the announcer for the single A Fredericksburg Nationals. Well, by all means, let's listen to it. 2-2-2 VP. And he says one high, deep here, right field. Could it be? Get out of time! Lock it, cock it, rock it, we suck it! El Vice Presidente! We 
read a Dostoyevsky novel in a scented candle kiosk. Let's get lit! <laughs> I have to say, it's really not connected to anything we're talking about. But I have never heard a call like that for a home run in a baseball game. Major League, wow. minor league, independent league. The best part about this, apparently, is that it's completely in character, as Zanaboni has a habit of making even the most animated play-by-play man sound tame by comparison. So uh, the general manager of the, of the Fredericksburg Nationals said, I know that some people think Joey is controversial when it comes to how baseball is supposed to be called. This is what he told the Washington Post. But I think baseball needs more Joey Zanabonis across the board. Now, my question is, how does Gary Perrone and Eric Shuffler and John Katzmatidis not hire Joey Zanaboni to be the the play-by-play man for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks? Now, I mean, if the Ferry Hawks are losing or if they're winning, um, you still would tune in to hear Joey Zanaboni. I mean, that's great. That's great. I mean, I'm going to recommend that he host this show when I take off. Not that I'm planning that anytime soon. Now, meantime, I asked Philippe to come in. Philippe has done a yeoman's job um, in various roles this week. He's doing double duty because he was responsible enough to get COVID, unlike some of the other people that work here at night. Um, How are you, Philippe? I'm doing well, Frank. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being had. Now, uh, I was surprised to learn about you on Friday as we sit around and do our oh, no. bonding for two hours. Oh, what, no, what, what's the matter? What's I, I, matter? I already know the direction this is going. All right. Well, I, scaring I'm, me a little well, bit. Let me, let me fill the audience in. We, we sit around for two hours on Fridays in between the time our show ends. And we don't just sit around. We do productive things sometimes. And uh, the time our show ends and the time our regular Friday weekly meeting begins. But I was very surprised to learn that you have actually never been to a baseball game. Is that right? Yeah, well, a professional baseball game, yeah. Like amateur stuff, that doesn't really count. Like, well, what do you mean amateur stuff? Like you've been to a college game? Like a Little League game. A Little League I've, I've watched. Okay. When I, I, I so you've by. never paid or had someone pay for you to go to a baseball game? No, never. Major League, Minor League, Independent League, nothing? None of the above. Outrageous. Well, are you a baseball fan? Not really. I mean, it's I I I enjoy the highlights a lot more than the actual sport. Like the mm-hmm. like, I, I don't sit down and watch a full baseball game, but I'll watch highlights for like hours on end. Well, um, I found this very surprising. How old are you? Twenty five. Twenty five. And your, you know, your parents are not born here, right? No, they're both immigrants. From where? My mother's from Poland. My father from Macedonia. Now, so what surprises me even more about this? I would think if I was an immigrant to a new country, I'd wanna. Ha- raise my child embracing the w- stereotypical traditions of that you know country. I mean, I'd have you waving an American flag, having baking an apple pie, cooling on the windowsill, and and going to baseball games, which is America's national pastime. But that didn't happen. No, I actually miss. I don't. I don't think I've any done any of those things that you just listed. I've never had an app, uh, a pie cool on a windowsill. Mom didn't make pie. I never got to. Yeah, I don't know. I just I missed out on a lot of the traditional stereotypical American things to do. But now, once you're over, I don't know, the age of 16, 17, especially once you could drive yourself, you could sort of make your own decisions about what you want to do in life. Weren't you ever curious to go to a baseball game? Oh, yeah, game? I was curious. But not curious but not enough curious to actually enough to go. Actually, no, that's, that's where the curiosity stopped. I would just ponder for a second, about, huh, that'd be interesting, and then immediately uh, skip to the next idea because 
My brain works like well, that. Well, I want you to go to a baseball game. I want now. myself to go to a baseball game, too. I've been telling myself I should. Well, what about going to a Ferry Hawks game now or a Brooklyn Cyclones game? Either one. Yeah, I, I was actually, once the whole Ferry Hawks thing came in, into fruition, I was like, that'd be cool to, to go to a Ferry All Hawks right, game. All right, so we'll go. I think I'm going back on um, June 8th or June 1st. Maybe you'll maybe you'll come. Maybe. Uh, it's you, Frank, you know better than anyone else, uh, being... Alive during the day. I know. The sun yes. Is out yes, I do. It's a, yes, a whole thing in itself. Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. But, um, well, maybe on a weekend. I think you should go. I feel like you're missing out on a crucial aspect of human existence. I always wanted to go because I've gone to like every other major sporting sport event. Like, you know, I went and gone to hockey games, basketball games, football games, wrestling events, everything except for baseball. So I always said I wanted to go. It seems like f- fun because it's. You know, several hours you get to drink beer and, and eat hot dogs like uh, well, I mean, you traditional could, Americans do. Right. You could do that anywhere, I guess. But it's more, you know, I guess there is something to be said. Uh, you could do that anywhere. That's, that's true. I never thought about that. <laughs> I guess there is something to be said for doing it at a baseball game. Um, now, Matt, this led to a whole line of questioning on Friday about Philippe, about the yeah. things that he hasn't – he also hasn't done. That's- what else did we come up with that he hadn't done? Never been to an amusement park. Right. You were never in an amusement park. I've gone to a fair, just not on the rise. Okay. Like, fair doesn't count. And yeah. you live in Jersey, right? I Oh, yes, I do. You were never curious to check out like, Great Adventure or something? It's, you, know what, you know what it is? I'm realizing that a lot of the things I haven't done is just because it seems like just such a good task to do. I have to like plan a whole day around it. And just that pre-planning is, is too much for me to bear sometimes. It's too much for you to bear. Yeah. Well, it's, it's supposed uh, to be fun. Around my things. busy schedule, it's, it's kind of hard to plan these things out sometimes. Um, what else did he – have you been to a beach? I've been to a beach. You've been to a beach. Okay. Yeah, never been on a roller coaster. Right. That, that is was the... wild. Is it though? Yes. I think it is. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think well, so By the way, I'll open this up to the listeners. Is it as crazy as Matt Blaze and I seem to think it is that Philippe has, A, never been to a baseball game, and, B, never been on a roller coaster? I think that's pretty – Unusual, but maybe it's not. 800-848-9222. I thought the same thing. When I first heard that, I looked at him like, where did you grow up? Yeah, right. Because I know he, grew, he did grow up here. Yeah. His parents are not from here. Are you a communist? He grew up from here. Wow. Um, what else did he not do? There was like a couple of other weird ones. That Alex he... just really hung up. Alex Barnard is really, really, really hung up on me not liking bacon. That for some reason that really gets to him. I'm not a bacon person yeah, either. Exactly. You know, look, that's a matter of personal taste, I suppose. Um, all right. Well, I want you to go to a baseball game. Casino. And, uh, oh, have you ever been to a casino? Uh, well, yes, not in America. Yeah, I've gone. I've never gone to. A- I'm mean, from Jersey, and I've never gone to AC. Well, I've okay. never been to Atlantic City. It, it, North Jersey is a different culture than South is, Jersey. Yeah. What casino were you at? I went to one when I was in Aruba when I was 18 years old. Okay, away. well, that counts. That yeah. counts, I suppose. I played blackjack for like an hour, lost my money, and left. Yeah, you know, I played in those casinos in Aruba when we were on our honeymoon, and it, they're a little tricky down there. They, oh, they have I, a different set of rules. Yeah, I've actually gone when I was in St. Martin, too. I went there, too, and I, I actually won big money there, so. What were you playing? Blackjack. Okay, good. All right. Well, we'll have to do, um, you know, if you go to Atlantic City, they have rides at the Steel Pier. So you could do, you could knock off two of these in one day. They have a baseball team? Well, they used to, the Atlantic ah. City Surf, but they 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 were in in the independent league, which is where the Ferry Hawks play now, but they folded, unfortunately. I, I could have had a bucket list weekend right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk to Jesse Kurtz, see if they're gonna bring uh bring the surf back uh for any reason. But you could see the you could see soccer. Have you ever seen a soccer match? Yeah, I've gone I've okay, got his own. Okay. okay. All right. Well, um all right, well thank you for stopping by. I just Thanks uh, for having me. I feel bad for you, but I don't know. I don't need your pity, Frank. Yeah, I think you do. I feel like you do need my pity. 
I I feel like I don't. Am I really missing out that much? Yes, yes, yes. you are. Oh no. Yes, you are. Look, I mean, I guess if you grow up, uh, I hate to use the the analogy because I know we have a lot of blind listeners, but if you grow up blind, right, you know, you know, don't know what it's like to see. So maybe you really don't know what you're missing. Um, but that's what I feel about you. I feel like you you are missing out by never having been to a baseball game or on a roller coaster. I guess. I mean, it's. I guess it's one of those like ignorance is bliss type of things where I don't know because I've never done it. And, you know, I could go to a baseball game for the first time and become addicted to it and never want to, you know, buy season tickets the next after the next game. It's. I could do that, but I also couldn't. So who knows? Boy, it's that's really, true. But you've never been on any amusement park rides ever. I, I've gone on uh, the bumper cars. Yeah, that's that's not a ride. That's not really a ride. Yeah, it's though. not a ride, isn't it? No. A ride is like the cyclone in mm. Coney Island. We'll go to the. Hey, you could do both out there. You could go to a baseball game in Coney Island and then go on the ride. I've never gone there either. That's, yeah, that's another thing. I've never yeah. gone to Coney Island. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you pick a day, like a Saturday or something, and we'll do a whole field trip. Have you ever had? Uh, you've had pizza. I've seen you eat pizza. I I've had pizza. Nathan's. Nathan's. No. You know what? Honestly, See? I never had a hot dog. Now that I think. Wait, about you it. never. You've never had a hot dog. Not like a traditional American one. Well, what's an untraditional? I'm Polish, so I eat kielbasa. Oh, okay. Well, that's, it's almost the same. Close thing. enough. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Philippe. We'll let you get on with all your non-baseball-related activities. Now, um, speaking of sports, there are two other items that I wanted to mention. Um, you know, one of my favorite broadcasters in history was Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell, by the way, had a relationship. His His career as a broadcaster began on this radio station. And his affiliation with this radio station, he started as a broadcaster, as a lawyer, as a lawyer. And then um, he got a sponsor, got uh, got himself on the air on the weekend. And then his relationship with this radio station, WABC, continued even after he was a big star until his career ended. You know, he would do all sorts of great – he would do boxing. He would do football. He would do this. He would do that. And he just had such a great way of of speaking. I mean, mean, he was immediately identifiable by the way that he spoke. You know, um, he he, he was – this is Howard Cosell speaking of sports. After all, is football a game or a religion? Uh, there was a very good movie a few years ago called Monday Night Mayhem that dealt with the beginning of Monday Night Football, and uh, they have a Howard Cosell role in that uh, uh, character in that film. I think it's played by John Tatura, if I remember correctly. It's been years since I've saw it, but that film does a good job capturing some of what made Howard so interesting. But um, whether he would say, unlike any other sport, the objective in boxing is chillingly simple: one man purposefully endeavor bodily harm on another man and i loved him i mean if you go into my old bedroom at my mother's house now you will it's she basically has my room similar to how it was when i lived there and you know a lot of other people teenagers especially would have uh, uh posters of uh, of girls or swimsuit models on the wall and i'm not joking i have and you could see this i'm not making this up i have pinned up to the wall a photo of Howard Cosell. I'm not joking. It's it, Howard Cosell in a tuxedo, in a tuxedo, and it's um, it's signed. Now, he wrote a book called "I Never Played the Gay," 
And basically it's called that because even though he was so affiliated with sports for all these years, he and he was never an athlete. And so he was very critical in his later years, especially as he became increasingly irascible. He was very critical of what he termed the jockocracy. And basically, if I'm remembering correctly, um, the, what he termed the jockocracy was sports broadcasting being dominated by former athletes. And he felt that that produced a worst quality of broadcaster. By and large. Again, I'm oversimplifying. It's, he wrote a whole book about this, so I'm, don't go by this description. But I was thinking of that a great deal yesterday because have you seen the latest news about Tom Brady? Tom Brady, who quickly retired and then unretired, won, as I, I won, I believe, six Super Bowls with the Patriots and then one with the Buccaneers. Tom Brady has landed... I have to say, this is the best deal of all time. Listen to this. So Tom Brady, who's going to come back and play football this year, Tom Brady is getting a 10-year, $375 million deal as the lead Fox NFL analyst. That is more, $375 million to talk about football. That is more than... He will have made in his entire NFL career. Think about that. That is what it goes for as if you're a star athlete and you're going to become broadcaster these days, especially somebody like Tom Brady. Um, that to me is amazing that the a guy who might be the greatest quarterback of all time, at least uh, apparently in Super Bowl wins, is going to make more as a broadcaster than he ever did as a player. The other thing that's amazing to me about this is that they're not saying, all right, this is a take it or leave it deal. We want you to start next year. Or it's a deal that starts in 2024. It's a 2025 deal. They're giving him this deal that essentially says, well, whenever you're ready, whenever you retire, play two years, play three years, whenever you're ready, we have $375 million waiting for you. Um, to me, it is absolutely extraordinary. But here's the thing that I wonder. I was one of the people that said, and I realize it's different when we're talking about the White House press corps, but I was one of the people that said that when Jen Psaki was continuing to serve as the White House press secretary and then she announced that she was going to be taking a role at MSNBC, I was one of the people that said, I don't think that's right. Here she is in a position to shape news coverage, to control what reporters and what media outlets get access to the White House, to choose which reporters get called upon, but she's making decisions that are affecting her former employer. Now, Tom Brady is going to play, I think, is season 17 games now or 18 games? Do you do you remember? It's 17? So um, he, Tom Brady is going to play 17 games this season. Many, if not all of them, will be broadcast on Fox. Does that compromise Fox's objectivity, number one, 
or the way Brady interacts with the rest of the media. Number two, if he's already got a $375 million deal with Fox. My view is it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Um, If he has a choice of talking with a Fox reporter or an ESPN reporter in the locker room after the game, who do you think he's going to pick? And by the same token, do you think the Fox um, color, color analysts are going to be critical of Tom Brady if he does something poorly, knowing that he's going to be their new colleague? I remember when there were rumors in 2008 that Joe Scarborough was going to get a radio show on this station. And I was working with Curtis at the time. And it ha- it was basically more than a rumor. It was w- heavily whispered. Hey, you know who's coming? Who? Joe Scarborough. Oh, what's he going to be doing? Oh, he's going to be doing 10 a.m. to noon. Why are we whispering? Because no one knows. So um, I remember I made fun of Joe Scarborough on the radio with Curtis one time. And Curtis took me to the woodshed privately off air saying, look, this guy's going to work here. He's going to be our colleague. You can't make fun of him. Uh, that's going to really upset the bosses. And you know what? Curtis was right. Because the last thing I needed as a young producer at that time was to be reprimanded for a manage- a decision that management made. You know, it's funny. What was I thinking at the time? That I thought it would be a good idea to ingratiate myself with my bosses as I'm trying to embark on a budding radio career by making fun of the people that they're hiring. I, I can't imagine why I didn't get a radio show sooner. So um, I think the same is true with Fox. Do you think the people on Fox are going to be critical knowing that Brady is going to be their colleague next year or the year after? So the Fox CEO, Lachlan Murdoch, said Tom will not only call our biggest NFL games with Kevin Burkhart, but will also serve as an ambassador for us, particularly with respect to client and promotional initiatives. So this is interesting. Big names, people like Troy Aikman um, and others. Lure viewers at a time that more and more people are cutting the cord from television. Brady has made just over $300 million in NFL salary during his 22-year career. Now he's going to do more than that in half the time without ever risking injury. So this is going on all over television. ESPN snagged Fox's top two NFL announcers, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, for $33 million per year. Um, And if you add in what ESPN pays Eli and Peyton Manning to host their alternative to Monday Night Football uh, on ESPN2, and the network is shelling out more than $50 million for big game announcers on Monday nights, next year, NFL rights will collectively cost TV networks, you ready for this, around $10 billion. We are in a new era of sports journalism because networks have long hired ex-football players as announcers, but those contracts have now gotten so much bigger as the competition for NFL rights has intensified because um, apparently this is the only thing on live television that people really want to watch. Everything else you can see on demand or recorded or uh, watch it on Netflix or on Amazon Prime or on Hulu. This is the only thing that's really drawing viewers in, and the networks realize that. So a couple of things. One, what do you think? I mean, if Howard Cosell were here, he'd be turning over in his grave. What do you think of the return of the jockocracy? Should sports journalism be about more than just well-known former athletes? Number two, do you share my concerns 
that Tom Brady uh, is not going to be covered fairly by Fox and he's not going to treat all the other networks fairly because of this forthcoming contract. And number three, um, what does this say about the state of the media these days that essentially the networks are banking everything on football? 800-848-WABC. CBS Sports renewed Tony Romo's contract for a then record-breaking deal of $170 million over 10 years in 2020. That is what kind of kicked off this bull market. I mean, you talk about inflation. There's inflation in the broadcast booth, at least when it comes to ex-NFL players. You can also comment on Philippe never having been to a baseball game. So Howard Cosell's book was I Never Played the Game. When Philippe writes his autobiography, which he's been struggling to find a publisher for, I put it on in a call for him to Tony Lyons over at Skyhorse Publishing. So far, my call has not been returned. He may have to go the self-publishing route. But Philippe's book is apparently going to be titled his memoir, I Never Watched a Game. That's apparently going to be his book. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so far, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest. Joe and Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How are you? I am doing just stupendously. I uh, was calling about, um, what do you call it, about, um, I lost my train of thought, about uh, baseball games. Like, my son has never been to a baseball game before. Um Sorry about the noises. I'm on the highway. Um, and I think it's just the way the kids are today. Well, you never took them to a game? Well, I, uh, what do you call it? Um, I wanted to. Uh, it's just the pandemic hit. Yeah. And then um, everything else. But the reason why I was basically calling, we saw your wife on um, Oh, on Newsmax. And she was amazing. I'm sorry again about the noise. I'm about that. The repaving the roads. She was amazing. Uh, she was uh, so, um, me and my wife were so, like, uh, into listening to our talk. A great woman. And, uh, you know, like I said, um, we saw pictures of Carmine, and he looked awesome. And uh, God bless him. Well, thank you. Again, I'm sorry. I was in traffic. They do doing repaving finally on Long Island. But, uh, um, like I said, um, it was a, uh, a great excerpt on uh, the baby formula. She handled it really well. Thank you. You know, we have the audio. Maybe we'll play it next hour if people didn't get to hear it. But I appreciate that. Uh, I agree with you, certainly. I thought she did great. And uh, I appreciate you mentioning that, Joe. I'll let her know you said the same thing if she's right, not have listening. A good, have a good night, Frank. Thank you. Hey, the last sports thing I'm going to mention, um, and this is not just a football thing but a wrestling thing, Um There was a great player for the Chicago Bears, Steve Mongo McMichael. He was part of their 1985 uh, Super Bowl winning team. He played for 15 years. He then went on to, uh, I believe he ran for mayor. And then he became a a pro wrestling announcer and then a pro wrestler. And now, unfortunately, he's battling um, ALS. Uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And now there is this big movement to get him elected to the uh, the NFL Hall of Fame. And even though he's battling ALS, his supporters say it's not out of sympathy. Sympathy. They say he deserves it. Um, He was a monster. I mean, he was incredible. A lot of people consider him one of the anchors of what was the best defense in NFL history. That defense already has three other Hall of Famers, 
And a lot of his teammates say that McMichael deserves to be there as well. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame, but those who played alongside him say he did a lot of dirty work that helped the rest of the defense defense shine. And I'd love to see him in the NFL Hall of Fame. And look, I realize his wrestling career as both a wrestler and an announcer was at best undistinguished. But I say throw him in the WWE Hall of Fame also. Uh, you know, why not? And again, he doesn't have the kind of wrestling career that most of the people in the Hall of Fame do. And I guess in my case, it would be mostly out of sympathy. But who? come on, we're human. We have hearts. I'm uh. looking at these images of him suffering from ALS. And my view is, you know, you could tell um, that he just lives most of his life in pain. My view is if it brings him a day of joy, throw him in the Hall of Fame. You don't agree. He was a mid-carder at best. Yeah, but um yeah, it's true. It's true. It's uh I uh, mean, they do have other people in the WWE Hall of Fame who weren't wrestlers because they participated. Yeah, you know, but that's what I was going to say. So, the Baseball Hall of Fame there is some kind of standards in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. The, the WWE Hall of Fame, it's it's sort of a, a joke. You know, it's, it's kind of made up. It, it, like, it's totally made yeah. up. There's no place that you can visit and see memorabilia and exhibits like at Cooperstown. It, it, it's totally made up. And right. then sometimes they put people in multiple times, you know, once as a tag team, once as an individual <laughs> right. wrestler. So I don't know. I guess Steve McMichael was inducted as part of the Four Horsemen because aren't they in the WWE Hall of Fame? Yeah, and he was part, uh, a part of the four. Yeah, he was. That wasn't an original, but no, he was in no. The but part. so did he so get to go? Know. Did he get a? a yeah, I don't, I don't know what don't you know. get. He certainly didn't get to make a speech. I don't think. Yeah, we'll research know. that. You'll research I, that. Yeah, I have to look and see who actually from the four horsemen because the originals are Anderson, Flair, Tully Blanchard, and, and Barry Ollie Anderson. And Ollie Anderson, that's oh, right. Barry Windham. I was thinking, I was thinking Barry and JJ Dillon, who right. we're going to try and get on the show. Right. But I say throw him in there. Pete Rose is in the WWE Hall of Fame. That's right. Okay? So if Pete Rose, who was a baseball player. He kept getting the uh Yeah, he kept getting tombstone, tombstone by Kane. <laughs> if Pete Rose is in the WWE Hall of Fame, what is the harm of throwing Mongo McMichael in there before he dies, right? True. Let's throw True. him in. Throw him in. So that's my cause. If, uh, if I can't save Tab, I'm going to glue myself to a Starbucks counter until Mongo McMichael is, is in somebody's Hall of Fame. I'm going to ask John Katsimatidis to put him in the WABC Hall of Fame. Um, Walter is in Yonkers. Hello, Walter. Walter! Uh, yeah. Good morning, Frank. What's up, man? Uh, I want to talk about um, Howard Cosell. Yes, I was. He was a controversial, uh, controversial figure back in his day because I remember on a Monday night football game, there was this black, uh, I don't know, if it was a white receiver or something, and he was running for a touchdown, and he caught a quote, and look at that little monkey go. Right. He said, look at that little monkey run. Uh, I, I... Oh, run, something like yeah. that, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, again, that requires a broader explanation of what happened. And it's covered in that movie that I mentioned, um, oh, Monday Night movie? Mayhem. But I don't think those remarks were racist. Um, he called no, everybody. I'm not saying they were racist. Well, no, that, that's why they were controversial, though, because people oh, said okay. that they could have that they might have been racist, which I don't believe they were. Yeah. But um, 
But yeah. that's that. All right. Maybe it was the 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 days, you know, the time of the, you know, those times. Because yeah, it but, was. Yeah, I, I think most people accepted his his um, his explanation. Walter, thank you. Al's in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, Frank. How's it going? So, make a living. To the last quarter, uh, I think you make a good living. Meanwhile, to the last uh, uh, person I was on, he was talking about the monkey thing. Didn't Spanky say that in one of those uh, little rascals? I wish Cotton was a monkey. And then he says, why do you keep saying that, uh, Spanky? Well, all he needs is a tail. So that's why Bill Cosby bought all of the uh, little rascals. Yeah, that that's actually not true. That's one of those things that's a popular misconception. People thought that Bill Cosby bought the ra- uh, Little Rascals so that they wouldn't play them anymore. That is not true. One, Bill Cosby never bought the Little Rascals. Uh, and two, um, they they do still play the Little Rascals. Um, uh, but uh, that's one of those things that everybody thinks is true. It's like Walt Disney being frozen or m- m- people jumping out of um, of skyscrapers on, uh, on during the stock market crash. You know, it just it, it, it didn't happen. But I, I appreciate the opportunity to clear that up. Jesse Kurtz, live from Atlantic City, straight ahead. We got the AC report and there's nobody better to talk to than City Councilman Jesse Kurtz. Whether you've been to Atlantic City a 100 times or never been, uh, trust me, you're about to learn something as we go live to Atlantic City straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the AC Report. Well, they blew up a chicken man in Philly last night And they blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on a promenade And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth Everything dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies, someday he comes back Put your makeup on, fish your hair up This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, no more place, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in the world than Atlantic City. Monopoly City, America's playground. Uh, there are. It may be small geographically, only 48 blocks. It may be small population-wise. But if you look at the impact that it has had on American history and the colorful characters that have visited and lived in Atlantic City, I don't think there's a more impactful city in this nation. If you look at the uh, incredible role it's played in everything from the 1964 Democratic Convention to the development of the boardwalk, where it's still the home to the largest boardwalk in the world, I don't think there's a city that's more worthy of explanation and exploration than Atlantic City. And one of my favorite people to talk to when I'm in Atlantic City or just getting an update on what's happening there is City Councilman 
Jesse Kurtz. He is uh, a city councilman, obviously, in Atlantic City, and uh, the happens to be the only Republican elected to the city council in Atlantic, in Atlantic City. Councilman, it's, uh, it's great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I know it's a tough hour. You got it. Great. Uh, Councilman, one of the many interesting things about you uh, that folks may not know is that you are currently the father of eight children, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> got and, a little tribe here. <laughs> yeah, how uh, now I've got my hands full with one. How do you manage to find the time to do anything with eight? I mean, you got to give me some some time management advice here. <laughs> oh, man, it's uh, definitely they get at least starting out uh, sink or swim. You know, you figure it out or uh, you, know, you get overwhelmed quickly. But no, it's uh, one kid is a, a, a lot of work and. Uh, but they're great, and and congrats you know, on on uh, you're you're in with the little one. They're they're a lot of fun. Thank you, I, I appreciate it. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm. Yeah, it's been great so far. Now, the other thing that's interesting about you that I mentioned is that you're a registered Republican. I know I've asked you this before, but people may not have heard our previous conversations on the radio. Atlantic City is a city like New York, like D.C., like Chicago. That's overwhelmingly Democratic. How does a Republican? get elected in a partisan election in Atlantic City. Uh, there's a lot of we have a lot of folks listening all over the country that represent these little pockets of red in blue communities or maybe even inversely pockets of blue in red communities. What's your secret? What can people in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, D.C. emulate from your example? Well, I'll tell you what, I think I'm at the local level. Um, it, it is possible to, to win when there's a strong partisan advantage against you. Um, you know, I think you have to be sharp, though. You know, have a good, good message, uh, work hard, connect with people. Um, and fundamentally, if you have an area where, um, you know, there's there's some strong needs and um, they may not be you know, represented uh, in, in a strong way yes, in the larger city picture, uh, that comes to a ward or an individual district. I think I think that's the key. And you know, I I lost a couple times before I won, but I'm I'm very passionate about Atlantic City. And I think um, even though there is you know a strong um, Democratic uh, partisan leaning in my ward, um, you know the people were willing to give me a shot. And now I'm in my second term, and it's, it's a great honor to represent them. Well, no, you're doing a great job by by all accounts, and the fact that, as you said, you've been reelected in a uh, in a city as democratic as Atlantic City is an indication that I think your constituents think you're doing a pretty good job as well. All right, there's um there's a ton of stuff I want to try and ask you about. Uh, some there's some serious stuff and some fun stuff. Let's start with the the fun stuff. Uh, there are some very interesting food events coming up in Atlantic City. You got the chili knockout. You got the burger bash. Uh, tell us what's coming up for anybody that's in that's um, that's listening that's down there right now or planning a trip there forthcoming. Sure. Hey, we're in a, in a couple weekends. There's going to be the inaugural uh, chili knockout and spicy food fest. So that's on uh, Saturday, May 21st, and. Uh, the group that does the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival, which is a you know very well known event here, the Good Time Tricycle Crew, um, they're trying a chili event, and I, I just think these food events are are so much fun. I mean, we have fantastic restaurants, you know, as as does New York. Uh, Atlantic City really is known, uh, especially in our area, for having some good restaurants, but 
thing that I really neat um, food events where on one ticket you can literally try you know tons of different variety. So this one will be chili. Um, a little bit later in June is the Burger Bash, which is something that I love going to, and that's going to be in June. Um, we're looking at June 18th. For people who may want to come down for a fun event on that one ticket, you get to try just a ton of burgers and then uh, vote for your favorite one. Uh, we had Wing Wars uh, a few, was it, a couple months ago now uh, here in town. So, you know, coming down, check out our restaurants. These, these food events are, are, are an absolute blast. You know, is there a – I don't know that there are many cities that offer more in the way of culinary delights than Atlantic City. Uh, and I, I'm not being – a hype man here. I have no reason to be. But honestly, Atlantic City's really got some of the greatest restaurants in the world, does it? Absolutely. And especially, um, you know, the variety. Um, we have great standards. Um, you have good steakhouses, Italian places. But we also have, like, you know, very good, uh, you know, everything from, like, Sri Lankan to other types of Asian, great Latino food. And so, um, and even, uh, you know, like the food events, um, I'm remembering that you know, wing what was it, Wing Bowl in Philly? You know, they had to stop doing that because they weren't able in that town to kind of make these larger events work. But it seems like our lar- even our larger food events, you know, people just really a know how to run them, and b um, people respond well and, and love coming into town. Um, and you can really have a lot of first class um, events, restaurants, all within your fingertips, all manageable, and and do quite a bit jam just tons of stuff i mean similar to you i love listening to your reports you're always like cramming the most out of every hour every minute and atlantic city is a place where you could do that i mm. think unlike uh, you know, any other town anywhere uh, well no well well said talking with city councilman uh, jesse kurtz hey uh something that i've been really looking forward to trying uh because i'm a ping pong fan as i think you know is pickleball which apparently has taken the whole country by storm and i just bought a a pickleball paddle and and set and evidently some pickleball courts are planned for Atlantic City's Bader Field. Um, for people that are unfamiliar with the history here, Jesse, tell us in a nutshell, what is or what was Bader Field? And uh, what's the story with these pickleball courts? Sure. I mean, a, a place like was it, Ohio would be um, like the birthplace of aviation, where like the Wright brothers were able to get, you know, the first airplane um, together. Well, um, the first airport in the country, namely the first airstrip, airfield to be called an airport, is Baderfield in Atlantic City. And, and that goes back to the whole idea of like a port of call being a place that's um, on the water where boats can come to. Well, having this airfield that was so close to the ocean um, can, had them come up with the term airport. So for the longest time we had uh, Baderfield, um, it's, it's been closed. Um, when I was growing up as a kid, I grew up right across the, the bay. Literally, I could see um, Baderfield. And I remember like small uh, Cessnas kind of flying right over my apartment complex. You know, and um, once or twice they would crash um, right there on the rocks next to the water. So that wasn't necessarily the safest thing growing up. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but they did um, they did close down the airfield. And so uh, it, it's been largely vacant. And there's some really large projects. There's, big, um, there's this big like luxury car village idea that's being pitched right now, which looks very exciting. My, my thing is that in the interim, you know, let's use it for 
um, outdoor recreation for health, um, especially after COVID or you know during COVID. Now, like it, it's important for people to get out, get fresh air, and, and enjoy themselves. And so, um, one of the interim uses we're doing is uh, pickleball out there. And um, I, uh, like you, you know, I went out and got some paddles and it's something I play with my young daughters and they're the other places that have pickleball courts are just jam packed in the summer. So we're going to be adding a couple uh, pickleball courts out there um, this summer. So it'll be something that um, my constituents are really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to going and playing with my daughters. And um, I, I like the idea that while we're working on a big kind of game changing project for Baderfield um, in the interim, um, it's important to use that space for uh, people to get out there, have a great time, and you know, be healthy. Uh, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So once those pickleball courts are open, will will visitors uh, get to use them too, or is this going to be a privilege reserved only for Atlantic City residents? Uh, they'll, they'll definitely um, they use public funds to set them up and build them, so you know, they'll be welcome to anybody. Uh, but there's not... Um, the one thing I have to caution you is that there aren't going to be too many. I think starting out, there's only going to be a couple. Um, but I, I, can't, I do see that uh, if there's a strong demand, um, I'm going to be – I'm actually already looking at a couple other places oh, in town at additional ones. But I think we have to prove that there's a, a demand in town for them. And once we show that, then we'll be able to add some more over the, the next year or two. Makes sense. Now um – we were talking a little bit earlier about the independent league baseball team that used to be in Atlantic City, the Atlantic City Surf. What what happened with that? Why um, why was the Surf, in your view, not able to sustain enough of a following to stay in business in Atlantic City? Sure, and, and I'll tell you, um, I, I miss it. Uh, one summer, well, I've worked there multiple years, and I uh, bet you didn't notice. One summer, I was actually the mascot. Uh, uh, a- <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> He was a splash. Was our mascot uh, sea serpent? And the, the I've always thought you made, were a bit of a drip. I must say, <laughs> of the people who made the Philly fanatic costume were the ones that made the splash uh, costume, and that was such a cool job. You got to like, I would like fool around with like drunk folks at the baseball field. Like it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but on a, on a serious note, um, from my opinion, why? Because uh, initially, surf did very well. We had really strong attendance. The whole place had a capacity of uh, you know just under 7,000 people when you like factored in standing room during fireworks games. And uh, initially, we had a very strong season ticket holder base. And I think like a lot of management groups try to do over time to maximize profits, you know, they forget about like the core business model. And so in my opinion, they started nickel and diming the season ticket holders. Oh. You know, initially you would like give an extra ticket to the season ticket holder if they had a family coming in, a family member coming into town, if they had a special event. And I think over time as new managers came in and wanted to prove that they were going to make more profits, um, they would start nickel and diming. And as a result, the season ticket holders said, you know, you know, I've, I've got enough. I've had enough of this. And as I've learned in sports, especially these small uh, semi-pro baseball teams, your your core season ticket holder base is what sustains you on the slow nights, on the slow games. I mean, anybody can fill a stadium around July Fourth weekend fireworks, which we did, even in the the end days at the at the uh, baseball field. But that, I think, was more than anything what uh, killed the the field. It, it was just, you know, again, nickel and diming the season ticket holder base. 
Uh, well, so, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, now in Staten Island, we have a baseball team there that was in the is, is in the same league that the Atlantic City Surf was in um, there. There your advice, I guess, to management, if they're listening and our owner is one of the owners of that team as well, would just be to not do that, not try to nickel and dime the season ticket holders. I think that that's something I both saw it with my own eyes and I was somebody like I I worked as a game day staff person. I worked um, in the clubhouse, um, helping clean up things um, there. Um, I I even worked as cleaning the, the uh, field, you know, beforehand. Again, this is like high school. It was beyond that. And then talking to the folks that ran the, the field and observing it um, 110% that that's kind of the core part of the, the business. Then you know, your sponsorships, your group sales, and then just general ticketing is what then complements it. But your base of who sustains you is always that season ticket holder group. And I would say, you know, if anything, if temptation to scale back on special events, no, 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 add more things, add more special mm-hmm. batting practice events for your season ticket holders. That, that's key. So um, what what goes on where the Atlantic City Surf used to play? Um, so mainly uh, there's the, the community college baseball team, which was actually nationally ranked uh, last year, which is pretty cool. Um, they play out of there, so that's the home team. They play games out of there. They're doing that right now. Um, there's also a lot of those like Cal Ripken style uh, high school tournaments that will come in from the the general area. Um, and aside from that, you know, here and there, you'll even have like religious services that'll be out at the the baseball mm. field. Um, by and large, um, it, it's very underused. Mm. And something I'd really like to see um, is um, kind of a cricket setup. I think that we could be poised to do some regional. Uh, cricket tournaments out there to draw on not only the the multicultural um, aspect of Atlantic City, but also to kind of tap into a growing market for regional sports and like, you know, small scale tourism. A couple of quick items I want to go through relatively quickly so we can cover as much ground as possible. Every day I'm getting emails uh, from a movement on one side or another of prohibiting smoking in New- in Atlantic City casinos. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing from both sides frequently. It seems like the side to ban smoking has a lot of the momentum. Where do you stand on this question, and where do you see this going? Um, you know, I, I think it, it does seem that smoking uh, in the casinos, their, their days are numbered. Um, you, you could kind of see how there's a growing number of co-sponsors the state legislature and um, we're both under a state takeover when it comes to our local affairs but also the aspect of of smoking kind of goes back to the clean air act so that's going to be something that the state legislature is going to be acting on got it um you are part of the atlantic city council they put together the budget for atlantic city did i did my eyes deceive me recently when i read that the impending budget that you guys are looking at now may actually include a tax decrease Absolutely. And I'm actually chair of the Revenue and Finance Committee and through a lot of just chipping away and, and steady work. This will mark the third year that we have a tax cut on the local level. And from what I'm seeing and hearing, uh, it looks like we're going to see a cut on the county part of our taxes as well as the school. So um, our regular taxpayer here, residential commercial, is going to see a tax cut this year. What, what sort of taxes are being cut? Are we talking property taxes, uh, income taxes, sales taxes, something property. Property. Yep, wow. it'll be a property taxes. 
Um, you also have an initiative, which I think is really interesting, to outfit the council chambers for hybrid citizen participation. What does that mean exactly? Sure. Um, so um, Atlantic City, like, like, like a lot of towns, was thrown into these virtual public meetings because of COVID. And what I found is that there were some folks that joined our meetings that had no interest in coming in person even before Zoom, obviously before um, COVID. And now that we're going back in person, this, uh, we just had our first in-person meeting last month. Um, I think it's important not to lose those folks. So um, I've, I've been leading a, a charge over the last year or so to outfit the uh, council chambers so that way people can come in person and participate in our meeting or they can come virtually and then we'll pipe them into cool. a screen, almost like the White House press, uh, press briefing room, and they'll be able to uh, participate virtually. And so I want to have both in-person and virtual participation at all of our public meetings going forward. That's great. Uh, Jesse, it is always a treat to talk with you. Uh, I'm not sure when my next trip is there, uh, but when I'm there, you can bet I will be calling upon you uh, to see if we can catch up in person. Uh, Give my best to your beautiful wife and that brood of eight that you're presiding over. Hey, you got it, man. All the best to you and your family as well. Thank you. Uh, Councilman Jesse Kurtz, Republican city council member from Atlantic City and a father of eight. If you could believe that this is the other side of midnight. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you can give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Zabadak, uh, if you want to hear it, I mean, if you want to know what music we're playing on this show, just join the Facebook group. Just go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. So, a couple of things. When my wife and I moved into our house about two years ago, we, um, you know, I'm very involved in local politics, and my wife is not. And uh, she also doesn't like lawn signs. She doesn't feel like they're aesthetically pleasing. So we made a pre pre home ownership agreement among the two of us that I would get to pick the lawn signs, but I would be limited to putting up only two per election cycle. That's the cap. Two. Got it. Okay. Also, when I when we moved into our home, I received a beautiful package from a person I'm now proud to call a colleague, Congressman Peter King, of an American flag that had flown over the United States Capitol. Really great. And that's now flying in front of our house. Now, I also purchased, and it hasn't flown anywhere cool, but I also purchased a New York State flag. I want to put up a New York State flag, and I've purchased now two additional flagpoles because I'd also like to put up a New York City flag. And we were talking about this yesterday, and my wife says, no, I'm going to limit you to only two flags. If we have three flags, New York City, New York State, and American, people are not even going to think this is a house. They're going to think this is an embassy or something. You're going to have people showing up here to pay their parking tickets. But um, I don't know what to pick, the New York City flag or the New York State flag. 
And I'm still fighting for all three. Now she's talking about maybe a smaller flag beneath the American flag. I really am fighting for all three. Wish me luck. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Um, do you realize they still have the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition? Now, I feel like people stopped caring about this a long time ago. But um, it was a big deal when you were younger. Like if you're like 12, 13, 14 years old and you have uh, hormones raging, it's, it was a big thrill to get these Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition and see all these hot models, these beautiful women scantily clad and posing provocatively. It's a big deal for a 13-year-old. I mean, once you're a little older, I mean, if you're looking to buy a magazine or something, I I would guess you buy Playboy or something. But uh, people were really into it for a time. I have to be honest, I was not even sure that they still did this. I hadn't really thought about it. And the... Current edition, or the forthcoming edition, of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition is getting a lot of attention and a lot of publicity because they're doing something very new. Have you heard about this? Listen to this. Model and mother, Kelly Hughes, 42 years old, beautiful woman, incredible shape, she's breathtaking, is photographed in this Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, becoming the first ever woman to show off her C-section scar in the magazine as she proudly flaunts her postpartum mark in a skimpy bikini. So you see her in this photo. In fact, I'll, I'll link to it on my Facebook page if you want to see this. Facebook.com slash Morano fan. So you know what we're talking about. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. So she's showing off her C-section scar while posing in a string bikini for this body positivity spread. So Sports Illustrated collaborated with pregnancy and postpartum brand Freedom Mom for this empowering beachside shoot as part of its new Pay With Change initiative. And in one image, Hughes is smiling and pulling down her bikini bottoms to show off her C-section scar while kneeling in the surf. Another shows her posing next to a palm tree in a pink pink string bikini that's super low cut. So this woman, this model, Kelly Hughes, 
who had a very difficult C-section recovery, she opened up about the spread on Instagram yesterday, saying the scar used to be a source of insecurity. And this new issue is going to hit the stands one week from today. My question for you is, what do you think about this? What do you think about this uh, swimsuit model who, again, she looks like very few other women in the world look? What do you think about the swimsuit model posing in Sports Illustrated showing off her C-section scar? I have to tell you, I have mixed feelings um, because, one, a lot of women, uh, you know, on the one hand, I think this is great. A lot of women are very insecure about C-section scars and um, might this might make them feel better. That it's not something to be ashamed of or to hide. And I guess that's a a positive thing. On the other hand, uh, I um, and I get that. And I think that's wonderful. On the other hand, you know, these models, they're not usually thought of as a realistic representation of what your average woman looks like. There's a reason that these photos are often airbrushed and so many of these models have uh, breast implants and so many of these models are so heavenly so heavily made up and so and their hair is done by pro- teams of professionals and they spend so much tanning that's not how ordinary women look so i, I feel like it's um a little bit I-, I feel like sports illustrated is trying to get credit for promoting a look that ordinary women have while at the same time this is not what ordinary women look like does that make sense uh additionally you know there are male models that uh that show off their their abs and everything um i'm certainly not one of them for obvious reasons but if one of them had a scar from uh, appendicitis or something. I don't know that you'd want to show that off either. I mean, there are certain things that one are meant to be private. And I almost think a C-section scar falls in that category. Uh, additionally, th- this is not a realistic depiction of how women look. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, um, when the whole body positivity trend got going and they had a big trend towards overweight models. Um, you know, I, I don't see that as much anymore. I think because the photo spreads featuring the overweight models didn't do as well as the photo spreads with, that, with models that looked like anorexic heroin addicts. And eventually they want to, they want to have, you know, photographs that get sold or clicked or whatever. So um, I don't know. Um, do you think this is a positive thing? Do you think this is a publicity stunt? What do you think about this? Because, again, I'm very sensitive to what women go through through the process of motherhood. And I I was a C-section baby. And uh, I would not want my mother to be ashamed of, you know, her C-section scar. But I also... Can't picture my mother at any age, you know, lowering her bikini bottoms to show off 
her C-section scar. I mean, you don't have to show off everything. In aspects of people's bodies that sometimes it's better off you don't see. Right? You know, uh, again, Curtis is somebody who, for a lot of his life, uh, even over the last 30 years, has been in great shape. And, you know, Curtis, as evidenced by the fact that he's gotten four and a half beautiful women to marry him, Curtis is, you know, very attractive to a lot of women. But if Curtis ever pulls up his stomach, up until 10 years ago, you would have seen multiple bullet holes. It looks like five bullet holes. And I kind of think that if Curtis was a model, he wouldn't be showing that off because, you know, under the auspices of trying to have a body positive image for gunshot victims. Now, 10 years ago, what happened? He got lathroscopic prostate cancer surgery or robotic uh, prostate cancer surgery. And he's got a big scar near his abdomen for that now. And, you know, I'll be honest, as as a guy, and again, I've never been shot, thankfully, knock on wood, and I've never had prostate cancer surgery, knock on wood. I don't really want to see that on Curtis, even if I did have those things. Does that make sense? I don't want to be insensitive here. And I'm all about having women embrace themselves. And I think women who have had a C-section, they have every right to feel just as sexy as everybody else. I just find this. I don't know how I feel about this. Help me out here. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. That is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Um, 800-848-9222. The other story that uh, we are keeping an eye on is this uh, baby formula shortage, which is now leaving desperate parents searching for food. Uh, You have some parents driving for hours at a time in search of supplies. If you find baby formula at a store, they're rationing it. They let you buy maybe two or three at a time, if that. Other parents, and thankfully we haven't had to do this as the parents of five months old, other parents are watering down their baby formula, hoping and or trying to ration it themselves, hoping for an end to the shortage soon. This has been a real challenge for families across the country. But um, fortunately, we have had uh, some pretty good luck. In fact, my wife was on Newsmax television yesterday talking about this. They asked her about this baby formula shortage. I think the show she was on was, um, I don't know what show. It was, I think it was National Report. I don't know. Um, but she was on with a, an anchor named Emma. And uh, they interviewed my wife about this yesterday. And uh, they had some very cute pictures of Carmine on there, which you're not going to see on the radio. But this is what uh, my wife had to say on this subject. Our next guest is seeing these problems firsthand, struggling to find formula for her newborn son. Joining us now, Rachel Moreno, proud mom to five-and-a-half-month-old baby Carmine. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time. And, of course, congrats to your new bundle of joy. But tell me about uh, what it's been like just to ensure that you'll be able to feed him. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, it's been stressful trying to find formula. Um, I've stopped looking 
on store shelves. I'm only looking online now um, because I've gone to stores and I just don't see it. Um, Sometimes I'll find supplies on Amazon or Target.com and I'm able to stock up for a week or two or three. And other times I can't find anything. So um, I stock up when I can and yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty rough five months. It's, it's really worrisome to not know if I'm going to have enough food for my son. Sure. Oh my goodness. Uh, of course, you're, you're worried about making sure he's doing okay and giving him everything that he needs to succeed, uh, at the start of his life. But I'm sure you're not alone. We've seen other moms who've shared their frustration, the fact that they also aren't able to get this formula that they need. Have you spoken to other moms who are seeing the same thing? Yes, um, I do have friends who have babies um, around the same age, a little older, a little younger. And I have friends who are moms with older kids who are actually always looking out for formula. And they let me know when they find something, hey, Target over here has it, or I've seen it at Walmart. You want me to pick you up some? So yeah, people are are having problems, you know, getting it. It's sure. it's certainly not just <laughs> just me. It's uh. It's a it's a big problem. It is. And and again, some of the reason why we're seeing the shortage is due to supply chain issues. Also, there was a recall of some Abbott Abbott products, including uh, Similac. So when you hear about the shortage and you don't really have a a firm answer as to when you're going to see full shelves again, what would you like to see happen? What's your message to those who might be able to help out? There's got to be better regulation and enforcement. I'm not quite sure what the FDA can do differently or maybe even the White House. But when you're talking about the one and only thing a baby can consume, there's got to be some just greater efforts made to to ensure that we have it. That recall that you mentioned um, affected us. All of the formula we had for my son was recalled. We had no formula left in our house after that recall. So um, there's just got to be greater accountability and greater enforcement to make sure that this does not happen. That if one plant, if one manufacturing plant in Michigan right. screws up, um, that babies are still able to get formula somewhere else. Right. Uh, based on what you've got right now, Rachel, how long do you think you'll be able to uh, to feed your son? You've got enough for, for a few more months? I have a three-week supply right now, okay. which is the most I've ever had. Wow. So I feel good. Yeah, we've gotten down to having no bottles. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine. And again, you're not the only mom who's going through this. There are so many out there who are also wanting some help. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. Best of luck to you. Hopefully, you'll be able to find some formula soon. Thank you, Emma. You're welcome. So I thought she did really well there, uh, articulating what the problem was and what a priority this is for a lot of families. She looked great. She sounded great in in my view. And uh, there were a couple of pictures of uh, baby Carmine as well as uh, as B-roll. Uh, so I was very proud of her. I thought she did great. I mean, she could have thrown in a a plug for her husband, you know, who's on the radio every night and who takes care of her son also and gives him baby formula. She could have easily slipped that in and said, you know, as my husband, who you can hear on the radio, 1 to 5 a.m. every day on WABC, will tell you, you know, it is tough feeding him when there's no baby formula. You know, she could have slipped that in there, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, you know, again, a former Newsmax TV personality myself, you know, 
as Newsmax alumnus, my husband could say, you know, but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, it's a real problem. This worsening nationwide baby formula shortage, it's affecting parents all over the country, including those who choose not to or who cannot, for whatever reason, breastfeed, and those whose medically fragile children can't tolerate other nutrition sources. Now, we're pretty lucky in that our son now just started eating cereal and sweet potatoes and uh uh, carrots and, you know, baby food, basically. So even if we ran out of baby food, uh, baby formula tomorrow, which I hope we don't, then I think we could make that transition to full-fledged baby food sooner rather than later. But beyond scouring the Internet, parents are tirelessly searching store shelves near and far every day. I hear it from parents all over and grandparents. Uh, they coordinate formula exchanges through Facebook ch- uh, pages, and they spend countless hours and sometimes a lot of money to make sure their children have food. And politically, this is becoming a very big problem for President Biden because this is happening on his watch. And I think a lot of voters, a lot of moms who aren't necessarily that political are liable to say, well, okay, this is what we got with you. Maybe, um, you know, if we weren't given $40 million to Ukraine, maybe we could find a way to deal with this. But hopefully it ends soon. Uh, hopefully for our son's sake. So if you want to comment on the Sports Illustrated swimsuit model showing off her C-section scar, give me a call, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on the baby formula shortage, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello first to Michael in West Virginia. Hello, Michael. How's it going? Uh, Yeah, on the C-section... I think that's a badge of courage, you know, because at the time of delivering, something went wrong. They had to take it by C-section. On the baby formula, well, instead of calling it the capital of the United States, let's call it a box of rocks. Because I don't think anybody in Washington, D.C. has two functioning brain cells to rub together. So, well, look, I uh, again, I'm, I don't want to let, let uh, Washington, D.C. off the hook, Michael. But, you know, there was also um, a baby formula recall because several children were getting sick and two babies died because this company put uh, this bad baby formula out there into the market. Now, I, as much as, you know, I want to blame this politician or that politician, that's something that's the company's fault. It's not it's not any politician's fault, but I think you're right. I think a lot of voters are going to view it that way. 800-848-WABC, six open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Gordon is in Waterloo, Canada. Gordon, we haven't heard from you in a while. Well, Frank, I lost my phone March 16th. Misplaced it or lost it. Again, because we still have not fixed our telephone situation, I only heard a third of what you said there. Would you mind repeating it while I bang my head against the console? I lost my phone on March 16th. That's why you haven't heard from me. Oh, you lost your phone. I lost my phone, yeah. Or misplaced it or somebody stole it. Like, I don't know. So I just got a new phone. Anyway, Frank, I've been following you on the uh, Internet. Oh, nice. But Thank I you. have a comment about the uh, scar thing. Like, I, I, I had this girly friend in a uh, long time ago, and she had, a like, a ruptured appendix. Gorgeous girl. But I was fascinated by her scar. 
almost died, right? Is there appendix? Yeah, ruptured? absolutely. And uh, you can die from that. But, uh, you know, it didn't detract from her uh, beautifulness, right? No, so um, you so it sounds like you're all for this model showing off her C-section scar. Then I haven't seen it the, the, to comment on it, but I, right, well, I'm just saying. That... I, I mean, I, I realize maybe my descriptions aren't as good as some others, but based on my description, what's your view? What's wrong with showing off a scar? Yeah, uh, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out, Gordon. And uh, thank you, Gordon. I, I, whenever you call, Gordon, I feel like I'm I'm talking in circles. I feel like I'm I'm feel like I'm interrogating you instead of having a conversation. But you know, it's um, you know, uh, so should we? Should that be the thing now? Should we show off all our scars when we're photographed? I don't know. I don't know. There's something to me. Um, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe that'll make people less insecure right but i don't know sometimes i just think certain things should be private that's my view 800-848-9222 uh we have a different joe in ron Konkuma. hello joe hey frank good morning Wow, this How is a different you? show. We we are. We, you will confirm, Joe, that uh, Ron Konkama is still wall to wall Frank Moreno country, right? That is correct. There is another Joe in Ron Konkama that listens. Yes. Wonderful. We love it. Uh, so I just want to comment on the baby formula. Sure. Um, yesterday, I was watching a, a Facebook live from. I don't know if you're aware, but a woman, a congresswoman down in Florida, Kat Kamek. All right, she had pictures of a Border Patrol agent um, basically with pallets of baby formula that was shipped to the border to uh, to feed uh, people crossing the border, the babies that were coming over the border. I just wanted to let you guys know that, and uh, you can research that if you want, and I have the Facebook Live video. Just pretty interesting stuff. I don't, you know, I found it kind of odd. And yet my wife went to BJ's yesterday, and it, it's true. It was limited to uh, two purchases of, uh, you know, Similac. And, uh, you know, it's funny how this palettes and she had photos that she was showing. Yeah. But so, thanks, Joe Biden. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Jeff in Suffolk County, hello. Hey, Frank, I, I love the look at a girl. I don't care if she's got a scar or not. She's good looking. What the hell? Yeah, you, you know, I, I guess my and maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. My issue with this is it seems like Sports Illustrated is trying to have it both ways. They're trying to get credit for embracing um, the, the way regular women look, right? So-called warts and all. But you know, they have a woman um, or, or several women that are made up to the nines that are um, that are airbrushed um, to take out, you know, wrinkles, I'm sure, that are having a team of professionals do their hair, that are cosmetically enhanced, I'm sure. But the one thing that they're going to show is the is the C-section scar. I, I guess that's where it seems a little hypocritical from from my perspective. But again, um, you know, if people like it, that's that's great. That's great. You know, uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, Matt Blaze, do you have a take on this at all? 
Yeah, about the scars? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Sports Illustrated, that's how they used to hook you to get the subscription, was to say, yeah, the free swimsuit model right. issue, because it was geared toward men. And I think, you're right, this is not has and this is all publicity. It has nothing to do with them showing a real woman, because, like, you're right, it's not a real woman. Mm-hmm. It's a model who is made up and showing a scar who they probably enhanced the scar. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they did I've or didn't. I have seen it. I mean, so I but, don't know. But. Yeah, and if people want to see the images, they can look on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Moranofan. I'd especially love to hear from some women on this question uh, because there's nothing I enjoy more than hearing a bunch of, uh, you know, gross, disgusting men comment and pass judgment on a bunch of beautiful women that have uh, gone to the trouble of bringing children into the world. So I'd love to hear from some women specifically. 800-848-9222. Paul is on Staten Island. Hello, Paul. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. You know, I, good morning. It, it, it's, it's the old saying, if you don't like what you see, don't look. And it's to the, I say this to the woke left as well. If you don't like what you're hearing, don't listen. You know, no one, no one has to sit there. If you don't like it, don't stare at it. It's that simple. Hey, uh, fair enough, Paul. That's right. It's a free market. Get back to work. 800-848-9222. Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Hey, how you doing? Um, you know, regarding the baby formula, first of all, I want to say your wife, I think she did a great job. Because Thanks. Because she kind of hit all, all the bases, covered all the bases. Um, but one thing that really stuck out was, the idea that there's certain things in society that there should be a safety net. You know, women or families shouldn't have to be worrying about, you know, feeding their babies. And, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit that you see old pictures of the Great Depression. And, you know, back then the Catholic Church was a lot stronger and you had uh, soup kitchens. I mean, people knew that they can at least get some soup at, uh, you know, at the church and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so there should be some kind of safety net when you have people that, you know, um, you know, are down and out or, you know, especially when you're talking about women and children and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Right. I mean, there's a reason that um, we don't allow uh, vendors to price gouge at a time of crisis and start selling gasoline for twenty dollars a gallon or milk for uh, $40 a bottle. Uh, the, the thinking is that there are some things that there should be a backstop on and that you shouldn't be at the mercy of the free market for those. And you're right. Baby formula should be one. I guess no one, at least no one currently, has figured out how to make sure the supply chain is not uninterrupted. It's a great point, Sean. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking, two, I got to say a couple of things. Um, as far as the swimsuit issue, if they stop putting regular women on there, nobody's going to buy the sports illustrated swimsuit well, issue. Right, and, and I, I tried to make that point earlier, Chris, and I'll, I'll let you make your point un, unabridged. Two things. One, there was this trend towards plus-size models. Now, you see that less and less now because I don't think those photos were big sellers beyond the initial burst of publicity. And two... They're not putting regular women on. They're putting women that look like supermodels who are not representative of the general population who happen to be showing off a scar which regular women have. And I think that's a big difference. But go ahead. Let me make your point. No, uh, no absolutely. I mean, if you want to put – okay, you, you, they can put plus size 
models if they're advertising clothing and stuff like that. But the Sports Illustrated, they're not, they're not trying to sell uh, uh, bikinis in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. They're, they're just trying to sell the magazine. And right. so you're putting, you're not going to try to put regular women, I can, I can regular women in the street. I don't need to see regular women on, on Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issue. But, but I mean, I, you know, I love all women. I mean, same, not, same, same. That, Absolutely. But, but uh, and and the baby formula thing, I I don't you know I, it makes me think about the Amish people. You know the Amish people aren't going out there buying baby formula. Like what are they doing? What are, how do they get by? And how do they how do they raise a baby? It makes you think. Like maybe a lot of people are just going to have to go you know organic or whatever. I don't know. It's tough. I know. I, I had I have two kids and and I I know I needed baby formula too, but. Because you know, my wife couldn't uh, breastfeed. Not everybody can, you know, is, is fortunate enough to put out a, a bunch of breast milk these days. I don't know. I don't know. But it uh, makes me think about the Amish people. Like, you know, they're not buying their babies. For right. What do they use? And yeah. their, their kids come out big and strong and, you know. Well, know. maybe that's our problem, uh, Chris. we got to figure out how to become Amish. I wonder if they take converts. 800-848-WABC. Richie is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Richie. Uh, good morning, Frank. Good morning. It's funny, the previous caller uh, sort of uh, mentioned something that I was going to mention. Wait, you were going to talk about the um, Amish? Human baby. No, oh. but not exactly not exactly the Amish, but humans have been having babies for a long time before there was baby formula. Um, maybe it's just a matter of speaking to your doctor and finding out what to do. Okay, well, I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of these mothers probably are uh, speaking to their their doctor, but that's uh, I guess that's a, a fair I think I guess that's a fair point there. Um, makes sense. It makes sense, I suppose. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. They, I mean, they've had some form of baby formula going back to the eighteen sixties. So it's not that new of a phenomenon. It's not like, uh, you know, a mobile phone, right? Uh, Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, hi, hi Frank. Yes. I'd like to say that yes. maybe Curtis Sliwa should show the, uh, the the ravages of what happened to him with the bullet holes. In other words, and uh, it, it may be a good idea. The other thing is, that he should maybe try to take Carnivera as for his as he's in a very uh, bad still in a bad state and wouldn't probably would hurt, would not hurt him if he if he gotten Carnivera and taken that. What what is that? I'm not familiar with that. Well, Carnivera is something that Ronald Reagan had actually imported into this country when he was president. He was he was taking it. It was illegal at that time, but since then, it helps the immune system, and it, it strengthens it. And and uh, I'm thinking of getting it too. The uh, they advertise it. You got to get it through. Uh, you got to get it through. Like you phone, you get all the information on it. On the WOR uh, advertises it on uh, 
<laughs> All right. Well, we don't want to promote any other stations, Tom, but thank you for that. All right. Um, I'll tell you what we will do. We're going to promote the fact that one of you is going to have an opportunity to win $1,000 in just a minute. Now, I will tell you, I put these because I came right from the dinner next door to the radio station and had, you know, made a couple of notes for the interviews that we had today. And then I hastily put together this $1,000 minute trivia quiz. So that could mean it's easier than usual. Or it could mean it's more difficult than usual. Not sure what it will be. I will tell you, I did put it together quickly. Um, So the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222 will give you an opportunity to play the $1,000 minute and see if you can't win $1,000 by answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Meantime, though, Pamela in central New Jersey was looking to comment earlier, and we didn't get to her. So let me make sure we get to her before the break. Hello, Pamela. Oh, hi. I'll just switch gears. There, uh, People were wondering about baby formula. There's a really good episode of Little House on the Prairie in the 1870s where they had baby food and uh, babies were getting sick and dying and they thought it was the baby food. So they were ready, you know, to stew the manufacturers, yada, yada, yada. Turns out there was bacteria in the baby bottle nipples and, and the wine. Oh. Uh, but if people, uh, it's a very good episode uh, historically that baby food goes back, yeah, that far. Um, that is interesting. Formula. You know, I've seen Little House on the Prairie. I don't think I've ever seen that particular episode, but that's uh, that's good to know. Thank you, Pamela. Oh, you're welcome. Thank okay, you. Good night. Thousand dollar minute. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, time for us to see if we can't give away $1,000. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Uh, now, before we meet today's contestant, there was a little bit of controversy about whether this contestant was eligible. Uh, Matt Blaze, it seemed like you were a naysayer for the contestant that we're about to meet. How come? It sounded familiar. Did it? Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Well, let's meet let's today's see. contestant, Leonard, in Fort Lauderdale. Hello, Leonard. Hello, Frank. Hello. It's actually Lenny Leonard. Lenny Leonard. Okay, well, that's a, a very clever name, like Hugh Hewitt or Chris Christie. Um, yeah, no, uh, Leonard is my real name, but Lenny is, I go by. Okay, well, I, 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 William B. Williams, right? Um, so, Lenny, um, Matt Blaze has a, sne- a sneaking suspicion here that you've played this game before, have you? I played a long time ago, like when we first started doing it. Oh, uh, okay. More than six months ago? 
Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So I think I think he's okay. Will you approve that, Matt Blaze? By the rules, I don't. I don't try to hog it. Yes. Okay, the the okay. rule is thirty days. So okay. All right. Got it. Yeah. I'm waiting I, one days. Yeah. I think. I think it was six. I've heard contradictory things: six months or thirty days. But I don't know. Um. All right. So you know the rules since you've played before. You ready to go, Lenny? I hope so. Okay. Enjoy Just, the show, Frank. Thank you. You're very nice to say that. How's the weather down there in Florida these days? By the way. Uh, it's pretty good. Right. Good, good, pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> All right, Lenny, just don't be nervous. It doesn't sound like you are. Uh, the timer will begin after I ask the first question, and then if you get a question oh, right, yeah, we're just yeah, going to yeah. move on to the next one. All right, what day comes after Friday? Saturday. What is H two O better known as? Water. What continent is China on? Asia. Who was the second president of the United States? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Adams. Who is the current Prime Minister of Canada? Oh, God. I know his name. Got a hint for me. Starts with a T. Last name starts with T. Is it Trudeau? What was the real name of writer Mark Twain? Clements. What animal is associated with a rising stock market? Bull. Who was the first man in space? Um, Armstrong. Armstrong. Uh, it was not Neil Armstrong. It was Yuri Gagarin. And? Yuri Gagarin, uh, really? but a uh, good get, yeah. Yuri Gagarin, the Russians. We don't count the Ruskies. We don't count the Ruskies. Uh, yes, we do. They're 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 astronauts too, or cosmonauts. All right, hey, you did well, Leonard. You need, I needed a little help on the Canadian front, but I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, yeah. We're going to give you a consolation prize. Hopefully, you'll wear it proudly. Okay. I thank you. Call you in six months. I'll see you then, Lenny. I'll see you then. Uh, send me a postcard from right, Fort Lauderdale. Thank you. I've heard Fort Lauderdale's very nice. I've never been down there, but I'm told it is great. All right. Uh, by the way, I want to acknowledge, if you want to buy any of the WABC merchandise that we have, you can just go to WABCRadioStore.com. And I want to acknowledge a guy that is rapidly becoming one of my favorite listeners, Frank Fiore. He posted in the Facebook group, and you could see the the image if you go on Facebook to Morano Radio Fans and Haters. He says, damn you, Frank Moreno, had to get the gray one. And he already had a, a the T-shirt for this show in another color. He went out and got the gray one and posted it on in the Facebook group. So that's great. So we would ask everybody, go to WABCRadioStore.com, load up on your Frank Moreno merchandise, use the discount code FRANK15, and then whatever you do, Post it on social media. Tag me or share it in the Facebook group. Yesterday, O.B. Murray was showing off his great uh, Frank Morano swag, and, and today it's Frank Fiore doing that same thing. So hopefully you will, too. Uh, order the merchandise and post it. My, my, I ordered more stuff yesterday. You should have seen the look on my wife's face when there was yet another box from WABC coming to our house. She said, she said what are we going to do with all this stuff? So I haven't, I didn't have a good answer yet. I ordered the beach towel, ordered all sorts of other stuff. Hey, um, but I'll tell you one thing that did make, um, oh, by the way, let me remind you, 
you know, I know a lot of you have really been enjoying Deb Valentine on the 77 WABC Early News, her series of interviews with John Paul Mac Isaac, the man with four names, uh, who was the repairman that dealt with the Hunter Biden laptop. Well, today, coming up next hour, you will get to hear the exciting conclusion of that interview. And there's no telling what he's going to say. What You know, when Hunter Biden drunkenly staggers into your store, dropping off a laptop with all sorts of incriminating information on it, how would you react? Well, you don't have to imagine. Because John Paul Peter Mac Isaac Washington will tell you coming up next hour. Why does he have four names? That's the question that has not been asked in the previous two interviews, and I'm hoping we get the answer today. Most people are named Frank Morano or, you know, I don't know, three names. John, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, John Wilkes Booth. I mean, it's very rare to have four names. It's like John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. That's the only guy I know with four names. Who's walking around using four names? Well, um, perhaps that's who Hunter Biden entrusted with his laptop care. He says, look, this guy's got Mac in his name. He must know how to fix a Mac. He's got a lot of experience spelling his name. He's probably pretty good at reading the manuals to how to repair these laptops. And so we'll see where that goes. Now, on the Bernie and Sid show today, you will get to hear Monica Crowley at 740 and Big Bad Bill O'Reilly at uh, at 840. So uh, that should certainly be an interesting show. Meantime, I will tell you this. Coming up uh, on Saturday, I'm afraid to say this almost because I don't want to be inundated with requests to socialize or meet up or whatever else. Saturday, my wife and I have no social plans. And this is the only weekend day for the next two months that we have nothing planned. My wife said to me, did we forget to calendar something? Because I'm not seeing anything on our calendar for Saturday. I said, honey, I don't have anything for Saturday. So I cannot tell you how excited we are that we have nothing social planned. Now, it's not as if we're going to be sitting around leisurely eating Doritos. Um, She has a list of housework and yard work that is a mile long. And I'm afraid to jinx myself. I would love to carve out an hour to read a book. Or 40 minutes to, you know, go on our stationary bike or uh, two hours to watch a motion picture. But I'm trying to have very measured expectations. My goal is to keep Saturday free. Uh, and, you know, it's, I really think that I might look at becoming a recluse where I don't do anything except show. Because I think a lot of my problem is that I'm just spread too thin. I'm overcommitted to things. And yet, and people call me and they think they're doing me a favor by in- inviting me out to dinner or to drinks or for coffee or for this or for that. I mean, well, you're not doing me a favor. You're giving me another chore, quite frankly. And, and, you know, I'll have fun when I meet these people. But, and, and I feel bad constantly saying no to folks. But I think that has to now be my de facto response to everybody. You know what happens is I say no, I say no, they keep asking, I say no, 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 no. 
And then I, I just eventually throw in the towel. It's like when Bill de Blasio was trying to date Charlene McRae. You know, they worked together. This is Charlene McRae, remember, was a lesbian at the time. And they worked together for Mayor Dinkins. And Charlene McRae, this is by her own description, not anything I've said, Bill de Blasio asked her out, and Charlene said no. And what did Bill do? Something that would be considered sexual harassment in the 21st century. He asked her again. She said no again. What did he do? Did he just leave her alone and let her go on being a lesbian? No. He asked her again. And in her words, he would not take no for an answer. So, I mean, eventually you wear people down. So eventually people ask, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? No, 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 no. Fine. So that's where I am. But uh, I think that's my problem is that I have a reputation of socializing a lot. So people keep asking me. I think if I become like a J.D. Salinger-like figure and only emerge to do this radio show, then maybe those they won't ask me to do it. You know, Rush Limbaugh, even before he lost his hearing, became a total recluse, was not seen anywhere really except on the golf course. And then you know what? On the rare days when he would go out and do something publicly, people lined up around the block to see him. I remember... Maybe some of you were there. I remember about uh, 15 years ago going to see Rush on Broadway. And the place was packed. Packed. A big theater. Packed. People literally lined up around the corner. And I said to Mark Simone, this is when Mark and I were friends, I said, Mark, I've never seen a an audience like this for any WABC event. And I said, I mean, I love Rush, but... What's the key to the success of this event? He says, um, because we had Sean Hannity at the time and a lot of other good talent. He says, all those other guys are overexposed. You can see Sean Hannity anywhere. You can see Curtis Lee anywhere. You can see Mark Levin a lot of places. But uh, you can't see Rush everywhere. And it's special. So that's what I think I need to do. Maybe I'll just emerge once a year on New Year's Eve Eve. That'll be the one day people can, can greet me. Other than that, I'll live in a bubble. I'll live in a bubble, and I'll be like Elvis. Oh, there was a Frank Morano sighting. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. He doesn't leave his house. Or, or like a Bigfoot sighting. I'll, I'll become radio's equivalent of J.D. Salinger. Um, hey, um, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. want to thank, speaking of Curtis... Uh, I want to thank John Katsimatidis running a full-page ad in today's New York Post promoting um, both this show and the overnight show on the weekend that that Curtis Leewood does. And uh, as evidence that the ratings party yesterday, we went through all the ratings, um, you know, we're both killing it, both doing very well. Of course, this show is doing a little bit better than Curtis, but that's fine. We're all a team. And uh, I'm grateful that John has chosen to highlight our shows um, in the New York Post today. So that's very kind. All right. Uh, so if you want to see us, the picture they used, I think, is about 20 years old, but still there. 800-848-WABC, 15 seconds of fame, straight ahead. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
I love this song. Great classic by Stevie G. It is available on uh, iTunes and wherever else. I'd love to make this song the best-selling song of all time. You know, honestly. I'm waiting for the music video of this song. Wouldn't that be great if this music video gets like a billion downloads? Like, uh, what's that popular song? Cake by the Ocean. I think this song is just as good as Cake by the Ocean. We need a clever video. So if you're a videographer or something and you want to, in fact, we have a lot of the good video people that work on on this show. Um, not great at getting me the video of the Marlena Shivo interview, but we can't ask for everything. But um, maybe somebody here can collaborate with Stevie G on a music video that we can make the best selling music video of all time. We'll see. Right. Let me know. Email me if you're a videographer and I'll connect you with Stevie G. And uh, I think it's a collaboration Made in heaven. Now, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. All you have to do is dial 1-800-848-9222. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Arnold is in Patterson. Hello. Yes, pepper spray is illegal in some states because the bad guy could buy it and use it to rob and rape women. Dennis in Rockland County. Yeah, speaking of pepper spray, uh, Frank, uh, I understand that in Little Italy you can get a sausage in pepper spray. That's quite effective. <laughs> Roger in Massachusetts. Yes, hi. I think it should be federally illegal to protest or demonstrate in any residential neighborhood or earshot of any hospitals, schools, or churches. Allen in Stamford. Boom the Charles Campbell shooting and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Charles Campbell shooting and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Charles Campbell shooting and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. And it is a New York City cop is sent to prison. Yeah, there's a great book by Richard Blasberg you should check out. Victor's in Manhattan. Hello. Uh, to demonstrate her protest against Putin's invasion of the Ukraine, Ocasio-Cortez has discontinued using Russian dressing on her gourmet salads. That's that's pretty funny, actually. It is Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Tenacious is in Harlem. Yo, Mr. Morano, you criticize Curtis for critically about all his actions out on the street. How come you don't criticize Eric Adams for not going back to the old way of governing the city of New York? Mike on Staten Island. Okay, Frank, the thing to do this Saturday is hot rods and hollies in Rahway, New Jersey. And today, lunch at Dino and Sons, extra the grilled cheese a la Giovanni. Ooh, sounds pretty good. Steve in Manhattan. Maybe food shortages. We live in a third world country. Frank, you're a people person. Cortez, Omar, they're running the country, folks. They're running the show. Billy in the Bronx. 
Sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Mike in Greenpoint. Hey, take a break. Take your family out. See the Staten Island Ferry Hall. Great day, great view, great stadium. Be safe, everybody. William in Westchester. Set up a chair to watch the eclipse. I'm still waiting. Where's the eclipse? Joe and Ron Konkama. Another great show, Frank. Remember, next week on Tuesday, vote for Jackie Napitaliano Perno for Connect One Board, May 17th. Thank you, Frank. Joe in Queens. Happy Mother's Day to all those mothers that are pro-abortionists. Say that to Curtis, the East pro-abortionist. And finally, Ernie in Westchester will give you the last word. We have to reiterate and remember what Ronald Reagan said. All the advocates or all the pro-abortionists are born already. Thank you, Ernie. Um, well, that's about slams the lid on things for today. A fellow by the name of uh, a Twitter user, USN Veteran, tweets at me, I made it. The whole show. Gotta love it. You know, we should have some sort of uh, a prize. I don't know what we could do, but we should do something special for people that listen to all four hours live. And I'm not sure how we can really monitor that, but we got to figure something out. If anybody has an idea of, one, how we can monitor people that listen to all four hours of this show live, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I'm looking for a low-tech solution. Not like having Alexa spy on them and report back to me. But if you have a low-tech solution, let me know, and then I'll come up with some prize or some special recognition that we can give them. Because those are our people. You know, and the ratings that we just went over yesterday at the um, ratings party, the key to our success is time spent listening. TSL. We have the highest TSL on the station. So um, if we can build on that even more, then who knows? We might be in ratings bonus territory. Who knows? All right. uh, Stay tuned to John Jacob Jingleheimer Mac. Isaac with Deb Valentine and the Bernie and Sid Show at 6. Frank Moreno, good day. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.